every Friday night after the League of Ireland games, a place for you to come to give your opinion to vent. And there's a little button down on the left-hand corner where you can say that you want to talk. Catch League of Ireland late night, Friday nights at 10 on Twitter Spaces. Follow at Off The Ball. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven Friday morning. Welcome along to OTBAM. Adrian and Owen with you this morning. Owen, how are you doing? Good, Adrian. How are things? Good, thanks. Yeah. Um, I was tuned into the. We've packed show, by the way. We'll let you know the amazing lineup that we have for you in just a few months' time. But I was tuned into the football pod during the week on, and I, uh, I did take a little bit of umbrage of what was going on, I have to say. It's, you know, normally a very pleasant listening experience, and you sort of chip your way through the four hours of the show yeah. um, that Tommy likes to produce. Um, you took bridge with Kildare being spoken about in a positive light I presume I've been getting an awful lot of guff about that surprisingly on um, on social media and I mean I'm, I nobody was happier than me to see Kildare beat Dublin uh, I mean I'm sure there were lots of people happier than me but I wasn't unhappy to see Kildare beat Dublin of course like you know I think when you give the context of really of course. You mean from an ego point of view that like ego, my theory had been hatred of Kildare. Poked a hold. There's no hatred of Kildare. I don't consider them to be amongst the big players of they're, they're just they're just not. They're just not. Not even ninety seconds just, into the show. Just, I know I can't I know I had not intended to go down that specific group, but they're just not in that they aren't in that company. You know, I think it's great that they've beaten Dublin. I think that that's it's brilliant for it'll be it'll be a better Leinster championship um, for it, and you know Dublin are on the way, in and that's great. But I did bit that specifically to sort of wrestle myself away from digging my hole even deeper here with uh, with Kildare, Kildare fans. Um, I think that the bit that I was taking umbrage it was I think it was Tommy particularly who was um, talking about the famous football pod, of course, with James Dunhill and Paddy Andrews and Tommy Rooney. Um, Tommy saying that you know teams are out to get Dublin. You know this is this is great that Dublin are now gettable and teams are laying into them, giving giving them back the punishment for everything they've dished out over the last ten years. And I'm just not really having it. It's not right. It's not Dublin anymore. Really, is the thing. It's not. You know, you can talk about like everything they obviously dished out. It's not wholly logical that you can be dancing on the grave of that Dublin team by beating this Dublin team. It's just a different team. It's a different outlook. I don't believe that... By the way, this is not a point about Kildare celebrating the win over Dublin last weekend. They were absolutely dead right to do that. But um, it's just not Dublin anymore. I, what, what it brought to mind was... Do you remember the... Um, you're only fools and horses fan. Yeah. Do you remember the... Um, like, I mean, if you give me a specific ref- reference, I probably won't get it now. But trigger, the trigger broom where he, he went to the council and Councillor Murray um, gave him a medal, as you can see, pinned to his collar there. Oh, you've got it lined up. saving the council money <laughs> over... Uh, there she is. Uh, she's, he saved the council money over 20 years because he used the same broom. And as it turned out, the broom <laughs> had 14 new heads and 17 new handles. Um, and I think that it's not the same broom anymore. And I think that sort of, like, you know, stood over the carcass of that Dublin football team, Roy Keane and Alfinga Hallen style. It's just not that Dublin team anymore. I mean, I think it's right to celebrate it, but if Kerry are going buck crazy after beating them uh, at some point, even in the championship, and like laying it into them for everything that they've dished out to them for 10 years, it's too late. That that ship has sailed. I don't, I don't know if anybody's claiming that it's some sort of retribution for... I think that was the, that was, that's a perfect word, sorry, Owen, that I think that's basically the point that Tommy was making. I, I, don't, I don't think it was, though. I, I think that there is, a, like, 
you're right, you can't go back and take six All-Ireland trophies off Dublin. Like, nothing you can do now can change the past. So I think it'll be ridiculous to think that, you know, oh, they've finally got on, uh, they've got level pegging with Dublin in the context of the last 15 years. I don't think anybody's thinking that with Kildare. But I do think that there is an absolute incentive if you've been beaten down by this team for so long to give a little bit more against them in every game, regardless of who is in the Dublin jerseys. There was massive incentive for Kildare last week, just like there was huge incentive for every team that Dublin have played against. And that was the point that they were making, that they are still viewed with a sense of aura and they are still viewed as as a, a team that could do with a beating. They mm. could do with a beating, you know, and, and, and every county says to themselves, before going out against them, we would love to beat them. That is still the case. That that was the case with the Kilkenny hurlers long after the peak of their powers. Uh, it will be the case with this this Limerick team. It is the case for this Limerick team, and teams are beating them at the moment in the in the league. But and that is an excellent point. So I think that the point about the retribution bit is totally appropriate to this Limerick team. Now, albeit there are players to come back in, and so there's a caveat too. But if that starts to happen to this Limerick team when they're back to full strength and it's in the championship, then I think that's it. Like that moment was Kerry in 2019. That was the moment that the te- that a team could have lorded it over that Dublin team and said, "Take that, you," and that was it. But I just think doing it now, it's. Like that Dublin team is is a shadow. It's not itself essentially. No, nobody's nobody's saying that it's not though. Like no, no, I did listen to to that podcast this week and yeah. uh, that, po- that, that, that <laughs> podcast and uh, I, nobody is saying that they're not a shadow of themselves. No, well, like, well that, no, that but point the, po- the, po- the point was made. that Tommy was making that that teams are now and this is not to take away from Kildare's win. I'll repeat last weekend, but it is to say that the other better teams in the country. Um, and and I'll stand over the point that I that I made uh, that I make it in this show last week that there I actually counted them out post the show last week. There's about eight teams in the country who are on their day at the minute could beat that Dublin team if they're playing like they are at the minute. So it's not you like when is the last time we could have we could have even dreamed that would have been a laughable statement. So it's a different it's a different team. It's not retribution. What's going on? And I felt that the tone of the football pod was suggesting no. that uh, that that teams were nearly like plastering up the six All Irelands across the wall in advance and saying we can let's layer it into not? these guys. Like I, I I think that I think that is absolutely fair game. That is not necessarily saying that you know you were. You on an even keel historically with the mm. team if, if you go out beating them but you're going up against a team that has Brian Fenton and Kieran Uncle Kenny and Niall Scully and Brian Howard and Johnny Cooper last week that absolutely is an added incentive that absolutely is a team on a pedestal a, a bunch of All-Ireland medals in that coterie of players and that should be a, a reason to, to give them a little bit extra to symbolically make that game more important than a game against Armagh, for example, and like that's just the way sport works. This uh, is a, it this is, is a great but it's the same thing as posting up some sort of a comment taken out of context in the wall because it's not like while while and we made the point last week. There's still loads of quality in that Dublin team, and they probably on paper they on paper they should still be beating that Kildare team. There's no question about but, that. But, but here's the thing: it's it's like kind of like in in football when it's like you when you've got a big club mm. and they get beaten by. A smaller club, even though the difference between them in the here and now may actually not be that great. Yeah. When Watford hammered Manchester United earlier this season, that was an amazing moment for Watford. Would they have had the same level of joy out of that result had they beaten Everton? Had they beaten even Arsenal or Tottenham? I would say no, 
because Manchester United are seen as a bigger club. Are they definitely better than Arsenal and Tottenham? It's, it's arguable. Mm. But there is no question that hammering Manchester United was more important than hammering Tottenham for that team of, of Watford players. That is exactly the scenario that we're in right now. Well, maybe not now. But that's the situation that maybe if things start to go on the downturn for Dublin over the next couple of years that we will continue to be in. The Kerry footballers still go through that. The people love to beat Kerry. The Kilkenny hurlers have probably lost that a little bit now because uh, it's been so long. Mm. But I, I, I do yeah. think that there is like this sort of big team mentality that if you beat them, uh, it is this massive moment. But it also comes with this added incentive. For all the slagging I did about Kildare and you've compared them to Watford, I mean, I think that should be the thing that gets slipped up and, and taken away from this conversation. And I, I actually obviously largely agree with almost everything you're saying there. Only the point being that, like, I think the point about beating Dublin existed even before the six in a row. Like, even when they were a bit shite, teams still loved lording it into them. I don't agree with that. I think that there, were, there was an element of it, but I definitely think that there was a bit of, they were a bit of a joke um, in, in some quarters, to be honest, before the... Not before the six in a row, but before... Pat Gilroy came in and beating them in the league was not necessarily a big thing. So there's two factors. First of all, the league has changed now where it's, it is more important. Like the Dubs themselves would say that winning a game in Killarney in 2010 was a very important moment in them actually going on this path. And then second of all is that the Dubs are a completely different beast. Like, I mean, it's probably inarguable that they were the greatest team of all time. But what is definitely beyond argument is that this was the best Dublin team of all time. That they had taken the all this notion of Dublin being a little bit flaky and, you know... Um, I guess fancy city lads and they'd completely ripped that up and, and had been the most reliable team in the country on top of everything else so I think that I think that they have changed the mould completely around how Dublin has been viewed so I don't actually think that there was this this view of getting one over Dublin was good like there might be a sort of like laughing at the like a country versus city thing at the, a little bit of a comic element to beating them but I think there was that, that always existed I covered Dublin a lot around that time that you're talking about pre all the success and there still was at people there was definitely a bit more of a joke about it no question yeah but they you love to beat Dublin there was it was okay yeah that's that's fair you like, like there was a cocky there was a part part of that was to do with the personality I think or the perception of a personality that team right like the cockiness or the sort of thought they were better than they actually are type nature I think of the teams that went before that and part of it was to do with the fact that <coughs> the same thing that people are still having a pop off Dublin about now just that they're a bigger population base and should be better than us Yeah yeah. No, in fairness it, pro- it probably does it does enhance things just a little bit like there, it, there is a sense that say even in the early 2000s if, if you got a, a win over Dublin there was definitely more of a, a sort of it, it was funnier than beating Meath even though Meath were a better football team um, like because there is this notion of of the dubs being the the, the kind of the big boys in the in the, the conversation around Ireland, so I, I, like I, I see what you're saying for sure, but I, I do think that right now things are a lot different because the, on top of that kind of notion of Dublin being funny to beat, uh, they then all of a sudden became the best football team of all time or the most successful football team of all time. So yeah. um, look, it was an opportunity for me to say that Kerry when the broom was still the broom and it still had the same head and the same handle in uh, 2019 and they didn't manage to roll over it that was the that was the miss the ball opportunity that you all have to live with for the rest of your lives okay Darrow Tool says Kildare will know they've made it when I refer to them as eunuchs 
<laughs> in another uh, another actually comic. how are yeah I mean no, that, for that, people that, who don't realise no, uh, people were here last don't, year don't, don't Adrian Barry referred point, no. to uh, Mayo as, as Unix no, no, so I, I where referred are, to where them in a specific game where they were out without Killian O'Connor and Oshin Mullen of, if I'm right from, oh, from Killian memory. O'Connor has been playing this year uh, so far Adrian and they sure as hell look uh, and, and actually sorry I didn't refer to them as Unix I referred to them as a specific character from from Game of Thrones who's who's probably and to repeat the point one of the most likable characters and uh, you know they're still reeling a redeeming from that. character maybe that's, maybe that's the motivating factor maybe that's, maybe that's qualities. like you say Faris you said that the, the Kildare the Kerry teams have like six in a row up on the wall James Horne just has a photograph of Varys <laughs> do you Game think it got discussed at some point uh, no <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> did it get discussed in Kevin Kilban's household every probably, day before the Mayo Dublin well, game last year yes, yes. and uh, good morning to you Kevin he tends to listen back to us on a Saturday, Saturday morning Canadian time when yeah. he's on his way into an MLS game I, I wonder if he's flying home for the, for the big one next week I get reviews um, and Peter G on um uh, YouTube good morning to you Peter G says Kildare are the spurs of the GA perennial bottlers but seem to have no self-awareness uh, self-awareness of it at all oof that's harsh wow um, it's yeah I know I know that commentary isn't uh, ce- celebration policing but I do feel that you, maybe Adrian you had a bit of celebration policing going on that you is not true no, that's, you were there with your arms true. folded watching that, that is last absolutely week, not like, true not and sure I've been like getting that. loads of abuse but again people tend to take your point out of context and, and actually you get particularly out <laughs> of context go, to go all drum about it. I think that no, again, nobody was happier than me. But like, maybe my point was even more appropriate after they beat Dublin, in the sense that like Kildare, even though things were were as they uh, as the you know, Dublin had fallen back as much as they had. Nobody would have predicted before the league started a Kildare win. I know that everybody got wise after the fact, but I'm just saying when everything kicked off, when I was making my point, it was about a week into the league. I think it was legitimate at that stage. Yeah, I, th- I think everybody shares your your joy for for, for Kildare. <laughs> uh, and the carpetman saying what they're describing is the inferior inferiority complex that's ingrained in rural Ireland. Yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. But I do think even inferiority. I would never have associated either you or people from your land. But what I was just about to say is that the inferiority complex is twofold. It's the country versus city thing, as we discussed, but also the we are not six in a row All Ireland champions, and you are six in a row All Ireland champions. That's a pretty black and white who's superior here situation. So I think that or it's the team in, that went before is you know. Or the team that went before as well. The team that went before that is six and six and all. You can't divorce too. that from the current team completely. I think it's. I think they're. I think they're undergoing the terms of separation. How would you feel minute. if Westmead beat them? I mean, if Westmead beat anybody, I'm delighted. But like, they're they're they are still top eight, nine teams. Where are they in the power rankings? Seven. So, if Westmead beat the team that are considered top seven, I'm happy all day long. Yeah. Okay. But I'm not going. Oh, it's amazing! We've dethroned the All Ireland champions. Is that the? Are you quoting a Kildare person there again? No, it's okay. not. I'm separating it. I'm divorcing it from the Kildare. Interesting thing. Um, also, to mention um, just the top, uh, the um, obviously unfolding and desperate situation in Eastern Europe, and the idea now that the Russian FA. This is the news that come through in the last 24 hours. The Russian FA challenging. Um, the idea had been thrown out of the various tournaments and competitions. I have to say it was the moment, and there wasn't a huge semblance of sympathy before that, but you could understand an argument that said, listen, it's not you know the football team or the uh, Paralympics team or any of the rest that are um, at the, the forefront of this stuff. But I have to say that was the moment for me that I lost any semblance of an idea that they were just caught up in all this. I think that if you don't understand 
from a Russian uh, football union point of view as to why you've been to be thrown out of those tournaments and you decide to appeal all that through the courts um, in the shadows of your country, bombing innocent people into oblivion. I think that uh, you really have, to put it very mildly, failed to read the room and deserve everything you get. And the idea that it's um, going to be trawled through the courts now in the shadow of everything that's gone on is really desperate. You wonder, have they no shame at all? Have they no sense at all of self-awareness? Um, they could have had the opportunity, obviously, to stand with the many brave Russians who've taken to the streets to protest against what's going on over the border and to set some sort of an example by saying fair cop. But they've obviously turned down all of that. And it does lead us back to the name that we brought up in last week's show. Um, Alexander Dukov, uh, president of the Russian Football Union, is um, the common denominator across all of this. He's also, as we discussed on the Gazprom board, serves on the executive committee of UEFA since April of last year. And you can be absolutely certain that, uh, that that's the direction that all this has been driven from. And Russia now also saying that they're appealing their exclusion from the Paralympics. Um, some interesting stuff about it and indeed some quotes uh, in the Irish Times this morning. In relation to the whole uh, situation, and it's just desperate. And I think that um, from a sports point of view in Russia, you just at this point have to say fair cop and uh, take your medicine and get on with it. And it's one of many interesting developments on mm. uh, in the world of football over the last 24 hours. Like it's, it is interesting you say that there's almost like a situation of a, of a mask slipping in, in certain situations. I'm not, I'm not sure was there much of a, a mask that could have been mm. slipped yesterday, but I'm sure people have seen this at the Financial Times Business of Football Summit. There's been a lot of extraordinary detail in, in the course of a few hours of, of action at this thing yesterday. Uh, the, the most striking, particularly in the context of of Russia and Roman Abramovich's soon to be ended ownership of, of Chelsea. Uh, she was, it was Amanda Stavely was saying that we're always going to have geopolitical issues. I'm really sad that someone is going to have a football club taken away because of a relationship he may have with someone. I don't think that's particularly fair, to be honest. Which is a quote that kind of blew up naturally online. And as I say, I'm not necessarily sure if if the mask slipped <coughs> at all in this situation because this is uh, somebody with. Uh who worked on behalf of an investment fund, of course, not necessarily a government, but an investment fund that did have uh, quite close ties with, with the Saudi Arabian government. She did reiterate yesterday that, that the PIF was separate from the Saudi state. And uh, she said that we should always be held to task. One thing we showed when doing the Premier League ownership test was that there was separation. We and the PIF run the club with autonomy. So Amanda Stavely, I mean, it's I, I just don't understand why she would come out and say such a thing at, at such a time as well. It, 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 like, not that there was an amazing time to come out and say that, but it just is, is, is astonishing really and kind of not reading the room whatsoever. And potentially when you think about who was in the room and the other football officials, maybe she did actually feel like a sense of uh, comfort and actually talking <sighs> like this in, in yeah. terms of who was in there. Like on a, on a kind of a, on a lesser scale of importance yeah. yesterday, there were some other really interesting like football political developments at this business of football summit. You had uh, Andrea Agnelli and you had Alexander Seferin, obviously at the very opposite ends of the spectrum when it came to the European Super League early last year, both contributing to this thing. You had Agnelli, who was pro-Super League, of course, who was still uh, pro-Football League, uh, Super League, I should say. He said, European football is in dire straits and it is in need of deep and profound reforms. And then he denied that the Super League was a failure last year and he said the unsustainable unsustainability of the industry is still there pointing to large financial losses faced by top clubs uh, across the continent so uh, Agnelli is trying to get the zombified version of a Super League in at, at some point or another uh, at, at the same time you have 
um, the Zephyrin hitting out at the possibility that it could be revived saying first they launched their nonsense idea in the middle of a pandemic now we're reading articles every day that they're planning to launch another idea in the middle of war they obviously live in a parallel war and uh, parallel world I should say and uh, they were kind of in the, the, the same room while discussing that or certainly Zephyrin was beaming in via Skype and then on, at the end of it all you had uh, UEFA dropping I guess uh, finer details of their great Champions League plan for 2024-25 which looks curiously like the, the Super League yeah, and it seems like they're going to ditch the idea of the uh, World Cup every other year as well. We might come back to that a little bit later in the show. It's uh, 10 to 8. It's Friday morning. You're watching o 2 am and brought to you live uh, each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up. Ronan Lagarde standing by uh, to talk all things rugby. Al Foran is going to be with us. He's just launched a brand new podcast on the Go Loud app. And we'll be talking to Impressionist Al just after 10 this morning. Half past 8. We'll let you know what's happening in the world of live sport. And a little bit later on, we've got our quick picks um, uh, for the GA weekend ahead. Nicole Kozlova is a Canadian-born Ukraine international um, who's playing her club football in Denmark and she's going to join us live on the line to talk about events in that part of the world, the impact on her and on her family uh, from nine this morning. Brian Carroll will be with us live on the line. He's back at live Premier League football, I think for the first time since the pandemic kicked off. That's just uh, about 20 past nine this morning. He's at the Manchester Derby at the weekend, so we talked to him about that. We'll touch on League of Ireland as well. And Eddie Brennan was on with Nathan last night, so that is from half past nine this morning. But uh, yeah, do keep your comments coming into us. Plenty of reaction to our chat off the top of the show. Uh, 10 to 8 Ronan Agar good morning to you hey Adrian how are you on how are you getting on good very well yeah thank you we will talk a little bit about the Six Nations want to get your thoughts on um, the power ranking almost of the uh, various out halves in the tournament and we might do that in a couple of moments time but we might just start with the we were chatting to you it struck me we were chatting to you last week about the onslaught that you had had from the previous week in the last 5 or 10 minutes of the game and you managed to hang on it was kind of reverse of that was it against Poe last weekend you were was it a couple of points down with five minutes to go yeah back to win it yeah point um, um well we were 14 six up I think before that uh, so conceded a try 14 13 conceded a penalty 16 4 no the, the match doesn't add up <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were I think yeah uh, a point down anyway uh and we got a good scrum penalty. Ohio West uh, kicked a good penalty. And then we scored a try uh, to make it six points with a, in, and a conversion to come in the favourable position. But we missed that. So six-point lead away from home in a top-14 game is beyond dangerous. So um, we had to uh, scramble. No, well... Mm, what was very pleasing was the fact that we controlled and we played probably our best rugby in the last 10 minutes when we were under pressure. So we uh, we finished the game strongly. We finished in their 22. So thankfully, uh, we, I suppose, controlled possession and took the uh, element of um, doubt and the crowd and the referee out of the game. So that was quite pleasing. Uh, but uh, on to brief tomorrow. It, it, it keeps going. Uh, there's a crazy... Um, I suppose league going on in France this year there's so many teams that can potentially make top six and um, you know for the first time ever in the history I think Toulouse lost six games in a row in, in the over the 100 year history of the Bouclier so anything is possible so it's it's the 80 minutes Adrian really that that uh, that counts so you're trying to just because you play at home tomorrow uh, doesn't mean um, you know what I mean that you're going to get the result that you're going to be performing so there's uh, huge interest in, in the 
in the championship this year. Has it settled down for you? I, like we we haven't chatted to you in a while about the overall your role and how everything's going on that front. Has it? Have you found it settled down? Are you into a rhythm of things now? To call it a new role feels inappropriate, but no, gone the other way. <laughs> <laughs> how so? Uh, it's just. Um, I suppose, you know, um, it's just the depth of work involved, I think, in terms of, um, you mean, 40-odd players and 25 staff. So that's usually means that there's an issue with at minimum five people. So you're just dealing with that a lot. And then you're trying to concentrate on probably what you enjoy is, is trying to get the best out of the players and... Um, so it's 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 huge learnings, yeah, most definitely. Uh, but there's there's not enough time left for that. I presume is the point, is it? Ah, uh, no, because then that's then that's you're making an excuse. You have to make time for it. That's the that's the reality, and the players have to see you in good form and fresh. And uh, I suppose, you know, I mean, the minute I go in, I either give them energy or I take energy away from them. So that's important for me as a leader and. Um, I think um, there's there's just I suppose so many things. It's consistency of behaviours that fascinates me. You know, there are days where you're just kind of going, "Oh, this is getting too much for me," but you you just got to keep going. And then there's days like in Poe away where you have a bus journey and you remember why you loved rugby so much in the first place. So um, it's just trying to find that. There's a bedding in period, most definitely, and probably establishing. Um, where the club wants to go and needs to go as opposed to a club with a pro do history as opposed to going into a, you know I mean, a Toulouse, a Claremont, a Racing, which I suppose established um, history and firepower behind them. So it's really, really exciting. It's really interesting and, and it's uh, it's tiring, but it's brilliant. When you're in those moments where you think it's too much for you, is there a certain trigger that you have? Is there a certain thing that you do to try and snap yourself out of it as quickly as possible? Yeah, there's plenty of um, plenty of, I suppose, um, tools available, uh, personal tools or personal methods such that you just, I suppose, you have to take a breath and you have to take time and you have to, I suppose, um, kind of get back on task and for that, uh, there is a process, there's a procedure, and um, if I was to reveal that, it would give away w- what I do to the players. <laughs> I'm not going to mention that this morning. You take it out on them, is that what you're saying? No, not at all. No, no, but you just have to, um, you know, it keeps probably coming back to the to the model of, of who gives energy to the project and who takes energy from the project, and then... Um, you have to remind yourself that there are so many good people, so many good people. So um, let's inspire these people and let's get these people um, where they need to be as opposed to spending all your time with people that want to take energy away from the project. It, it must be annoying at times though, being like, geez, I wish I was just in the Correct. background. <laughs> yeah. They, they, yeah, you'd be a liar if you said otherwise. Training like. Yeah, exactly. But... Um, I think that's that's the reward of, of getting involved in sport. I think that's that what's I suppose gives you all those emotions and drive for for wanting to achieve something. But yeah, it can be draining. But that's 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 a weak reason to stop doing what you believe in. So you you, you commit to it and you give it your best shot. And then if it's not good enough, then you put your hand up. But 
there are days when it's so easy and then there are other days you feel you're doing exactly the same thing and you're banging your head against the wall but it's nothing different really to being a top class goal kicker in that regard as well you know technically physically mentally you feel like you're doing exactly the same prep and the ball is going one way and then you just wish you knew why but you don't uh, I think but that's what experience tells you is that when you have bad days that your bad days are you mean a six or a seven out of ten as opposed to a two or three out of ten and for me it's the same in coaching I think you just got to be really true to your behaviours or to your philosophy or to what you believe and how the game should be played and if that's I suppose the message you get across and your players buy into that then it becomes really powerful uh, it, it's raised an interesting question about Munster and the uh, fork in the road there at Ronan like uh, Graham Rountree obviously is there. there there are some indications coming now that they'll go back down the director rugby route over the next while and that maybe Graham Rountree finds himself in a in a head coach position um, how important is it in the context of what you've been doing obviously how important is it for him then to have people around him who he who he knows or he trusts or people with some experience I suppose yeah, very, very important, you know, because that's uh, hugely crucial. You, 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 the, the head coach or the director of rugby doesn't do all the coaching, so the alignment between assistant coaches and coaches and, and medical team and strength and conditioning team is is hugely, hugely important. And players are very, very smart and intelligent and capable of, I suppose, of reading the language of the staff. So if they were to decipher or interpret uh, a breakdown within one of the divisions of, of the building, they'd go to town on it and, they, and they'd, they would jump on that and use it as a potential reason to to not give 100%. So, I mean, that's one of the, I suppose, the basic components in getting and trying to get a high-performing model is that you have alignment throughout, uh, I suppose, all your departments. So, be it Munster, be it uh, La Rochelle, be it Leinster, be it Ulster, Connacht, it's it's hugely hugely important that that uh, you have, I suppose, harmony and cohesion between those between those people. There's some chat that there's a Graham Rountree, former forwards coach with Georgia, Jed McNamara, who's at Munster, uh, worked with Georgia before, and Milton Haig, who I think might have recently left his position there, but they would have worked together. Like there'd be a familiarity about that. There's some indication that maybe that's the direction Munster are headed in. Would that familiarity, uh, again, be an important aspect in terms of that relationship between director of rugby? Because obviously there are other Declan Kidney's been mentioned as well. But that familiarity bit, Ronan, for. Uh, for Roundtree if it was to go that route yeah I think so because the last thing uh, you want no matter how um, experienced you are or confident you are is um, I suppose the issue of uncertainty or unknown from your assistance when you start a job that's why plucking a guy from the outside and putting him in with coaches that he's never worked with before, no matter what age or how experienced you are, is, is, a, is a risk because within three months, I mean, you can have a few pre-meetings and meetings and going, yeah, I think you get a good feel out of this, this will work, but it's only when you kind of have three results mm. or negative results in a row, you find out what the real character of the person is and how they react to pressure. So it's always better, I think, to, uh, to I suppose engage in a project when you know who you're working with can it work the other way it can but it probably takes a lot of time so there'll be a longer longer bedding in period and then maybe in the year probably um, two or three you're probably establishing 
how we operate and how we get the best out of each other. But in sport, that's quite that's quite a long time in, in certain regards. But I think the key for for monsters probably it would be great to have, I suppose, a project of um, solidity where where it it can take off with the right people involved. Yeah. Milton Haig was a name I had to, I have to admit I had to Google. I'd, I'd, in rugby circles, is he, is he known, spoken yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on the circuit a long time. He's a good reputation and uh, um, a, a, a competitor. And, and Graham Longtree is is uh, a smart smart guy and uh, very, very proven. Um, so yeah, I think if that's the road they're going, it's very, very important that it's Graham staff as opposed to Munster staff. We'll watch. Uh, we'll watch with interest, obviously, over the next while. Six Nations, bit of a uh, break week this week. Back into England next weekend. Paul O'Connell had some interesting stuff to say yesterday about England being on the verge of a big result. It almost felt because Eddie Jones is under some pressure, obviously, with the two big games to come. It almost felt like Paul was kind of talking to the players as much as anything, his own players as much as anything. Um. In the I sense, he was saying basically, England it, don't be getting too carried away with the idea that Eddie Jones is under too much pressure, or that England are a bad team. That with Ireland and France to come, that they obviously still have the possibility of winning this thing. Yeah, and people have short memories too. I think you know the team that was in the World Cup final was England. That's the biggest tournament um, where in the world game that uh, teams judge each other on. So I was actually in the stadium for for. England, New Zealand semi-final in Japan. What a game! And the guys in in the white jerseys uh, were unbelievably impressive. That um, it was a five o'clock kickoff, I think, that evening. So uh, it was it was interesting just to see, uh, I suppose, tactically how they took New Zealand apart, uh, just by kind of varying their point of attack and playing width and speed and tempo in their game and being really good at the rock and just. Uh, they were hugely deserving winners. It was by far the better team. So you know, that's obviously a few years ago now, but uh, I think what you can't um, question with Eddie Jones is that he, I think he gets his timing right. So England would be ready for, for Rugby World Cup 2023 in Paris. That's not, or in France, that's that's for certain. I think he's having a look uh, about whether he can do it without the Vinopolos or, or, or not at the minute. I think at any stage they could come back into the team. Uh, and if the two of them, Farrell to Alagi, I think for me it becomes a very, very different English team. Um, but, you know, I think uh, England and Twickenham is always, um, I think no matter who you are, uh, when England play in Twickenham, I, I would apply for, for the Irish game, I, I would say England would be favourites. Right. Is there an evolution? Sandy Farrell saw after the said after the Italy game, he was asked about the English stuff, and he was talking about like almost tongue in cheek about New England, in the sense that I think he was saying basically they're still that kind of kicking team. Are you what what uh, are you seeing anything new about them, or if so, what? I I think when you when you look at them, they, I think they're they aren't as accurate as they have been in in previous campaigns, and I think it's very understandable because. They probably have a, a, a in Marcus Smith a ten who's I suppose uh, likes taking risks as opposed to traditionally uh, the English ten in in a Wilkinson Farrell mode would be very I suppose not risk averse but very 
I suppose, percentage orientated and, uh, you mean, exiting their half very well. Uh, really, really uh, strong kicking game and a really big focus on a set piece. Uh, Marcus Smith, I suppose, comes to life in the unstructured play. He would be very interesting outside Dupont in a blue jersey, I would think, um, in terms of how he plays the game. Um, so I think in that regard, you have probably a free spirit at 10 who plays, in, I suppose, in a more liberated system in in, in Harlequins. Uh, going into England and test rugby is different and you have to, I suppose, understand that it takes a little bit more time and more accuracy and more skill to break down test defences. But uh, what we've seen in his infancy is that he's very, very adept at doing that. And um, I think... Um, it's just, I suppose, they're for me, they're lacking a little bit of cohesion. Ireland are probably um, further down the road in, in their establishing how they want to play the game. But England, I suppose, with the profile of player they have, when they have a full deck, are very, very dangerous. It's interesting that you mentioned there that he's a bit different to, to Johnny Wilkinson because Wilkinson's been working a little bit with Marcus Smith on the, the mental techniques and, and the, I guess the, the actual kicking technique as well. Is that a good coaching idea to, to, to get somebody involved with a player who is whose natural instinct, I guess, is, is different to that player? Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what the brief is on if it's for, if it's for kicking. Uh, uh, mental skills are on the kicking, then you know, Johnny was... Uh, incredibly uh, I suppose um, in- incredibly uh, well taught or well um, well informed on, on the subject so in that regard I think um, I mean for understanding I suppose the principles of striking the ball and and all that then, then Johnny is the, is the man for that if, if you're looking at probably um the phase game or the attack game, I think. Um, you mean Marcus Smith might be might be more suited to the fact that um, you mean I think his biggest strength is is I suppose his instincts. If I'm trying to read between the lines of some of the stuff you're saying, and maybe if we ask it slightly differently, then if you were picking a team, right, uh, let's say a Lions team to include all the teams in the Six Nations, who's your starting ten from the Entomac, Sexton, Bigger, and let's say um, Smith is the other option there? When is when is the test match? <laughs> I knew you were going to start asking me. What's the pack? Who are they playing? What sort of style are you going for? Um, well, forgetting all, all that. The, all, all the well, it's obviously important. I think you know. What I mean, Johnny is coming to the end of a, of a glittering career. If they're playing, um, playing, playing now, like they're playing, yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it would probably. It's it's. Um. Sexton, Smith, Entomac, Russell. In that order? Um, yeah, if you play a test match tomorrow, Johnny is still good enough to play a Lions test match to- tomorrow. You know, I think he's come back well, very well from disappointment and not going on, the, on, the, on, on that trip. You know, I think uh, that was a, a hammer and blow for him. Um, and... I think that's what competitors do. They respond and, and, and they kick on. And, and um, I mean, judging by his performance against 
I suppose, yeah, with Wales and Italy, that it'll be up two or three notches against um, England and Scotland. That's for sure. Um, but I think um, you know, knowing the competitor he is, for that Smith isn't anywhere near the finished product. Uh, Russell, we can talk about that mm. in depth, but you can see exactly why the difference between uh, having control of your players and not. Um, so the Sunday night before the Saturday game, France Scotland, Finn Russell was in Bordeaux at nine o'clock, kicking off for Racing against Bordeaux. So uh, nine fifty half time, ten o five start the second half, eleven p.m. finished the game into the dressing room shower, probably uh, on the bus at half twelve one a.m. Uh, to the airport 2 a.m. flight to Paris half three. As a flight to Scotland at uh, 9 a.m. Do you do you sit it out for the four hours in the airport, or depending on what airport you are in Paris as well, or do you uh, go home an hour's ride in the taxi and then a two hours sleep back into the taxi to get the flight to get to Edinburgh Monday, uh, where all your teammates are already in camp and have had the weekend off. So. I think the biggest learning or uh, thing of interest going forward for me is that France are, are going to be more more and more dangerous as the years go by and obviously as the campaign goes on because all the French players are resting uh, in between games while you look at Finn Russell and you look at Stuart Hogg. One goes to Exeter, one goes to Racing and, and they're playing games mentally and physically. It just it's just too much of a disadvantage. You, you look at Finn getting criticised in his game against, um, in the game against France, but sure, the guy is sleepwalking around the pitch, you know, and that can happen. And I think that's why the big difference for, for, for the IRFU and for, and for the French team now, because they've done a deal with the clubs, it's going to be very, very hard to... Um, to get guys, I mean, if you're playing Saturday, you can say it's only a club game. Club games in France are, are desperately difficult, uh, mentally and physically, because of the size of the people playing the game. You know, you've whatever 130, 40 kg back rows, second rows, front rows in a Bordeaux racing game, and that just takes its toll on, on on people that are playing. And then you go into camp, and everyone is full of energy, and you're dead after playing on Saturday, and then you have to go play a test match the following weekend. So it'll be, it'll be. I think that it would be interesting to see what happens with Rule Nine in terms of when actually this protection of players kicks in. Yeah, context is everything. Hey, Ronan, thanks a million. Cheers, lads. See you. Lot, Ronan have a good weekend. You too, uh, Ronan Gar on the line there from uh, from Larishal. Interesting stuff. Good context to the Finn Russell stuff because he was getting hammered on, wasn't he, after the stuff last weekend? And um, you don't think about that stuff that he's talking about. No, in that, in that moment, you're under an absolute magnifying glass in the Six Nations. It becomes a situation where your one performance is kind of discussed and picked apart for sometimes weeks on end, especially around that weekend when it's a week in the build-up and a week in the aftermath before you have another game and it just feels all important and even outside of that you've got five games where everybody is watching you everybody's watching you and like it just feels that obviously for his for his club and all that there would be um, there would be a situation where there'll always be next week and there'll also be just far from a magnifying glass placed upon your, your performances Wouldn't you think the Scottish Union would give him a private jet 
genuinely. Mm. Yeah. What would it be? I don't, I don't know. Four or five grand. I'm not sure. But like, you'd, you'd imagine if it's if it's a, a as if it's a significant deal on how he's performing, then Gregor Townsend is surely somebody sits down with the logistics do and said, this, "This guy's going to have to play, make that journey to Paris, wait overnight, get the plane the next morning." No, let's just bring him in that night. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Not a good idea. Um, <laughs> it's 14 min- 13 minutes past 8. It's Friday morning. You're watching me to be AM. We're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, lots still to come uh, here in the show. We're going to be speaking to the Ukrainian footballer Nicole Kozlova about the situation unfolding in their country. She's uh, Canadian-born, playing her trade in Denmark at the minute. And we'll uh, speak to Nicole a little bit later this morning. Brian Kerr is going to be with us ahead of the Manchester Derby at the weekend. GA Quick picks uh, to come and up next chatting to uh, impressionist Al Foran about his new podcast. OTB AM. Fred and McTominay get a hard time. I, fair enough, they may not be the quality of midfielder of Manchester United of 10, 15, 20 years ago, but in terms of effort, in terms of actually when Manchester United playing well, them playing well, like, geez, there's other targets you could pick than Fred and McTominay. Yeah, that there is, and it's and it's a fair comment. But you said 10, 20, 30 years ago, and it's one of the biggest clubs in the world. When you've had Roy Keane in that position, and Brian Robson in that position, there's going to be comparisons with with those great players. You look at the fullbacks; they're good fullbacks, but other clubs have got better fullbacks because in the Premier League now the bar has been raised very high because of the money. Most of the clubs can go out, they can scout globally. So Manchester United cannot pick off the best talents from even clubs like Tottenham, like they used to be able to do, going to sign Michael Carrick or, or, or Teddy Sheringham. It doesn't happen like it used to do. So a gap has been closed in other ways. And I think Fred, he said it last week, he's not the most technical of players, but he does have his virtues and he has some decent matches and then he infuriates fans by giving the ball away. And... The central midfield has, has been an area where Manchester United have been looking to, to improve upon. That's why you've seen Declan Rice linked to Manchester United all of the time. And it's just another area where there's been concern. I think six games into this season, when the mood was very different, when Manchester United were at the top of the league, a central midfielder would have been the one position which players were looking at. Now, I think you're looking at strengthening all over the pitch, which is not going to happen. You can't just get rid of a whole squad, but that shows the frustration and, and how underwhelming a lot of the players have been this season. That's Andy Mitten uh, from United Would Stand in conversation with uh, Nathan on the football show last night. You can listen back to the full chat. It's in the OTB football podcast f- uh, feed. Now, it is uh, 17 minutes past eight. It's Friday morning. There's still loads to come. Brian Kerr on the way to look ahead to the Manchester Derby. Nicole Kozlova as well, a Ukrainian international footballer based in Denmark, will uh, talk to us just after nine this morning um, and uh, plenty more as well. So do keep your comments coming into us. But uh, before all of that, this week, Go Loud announced the launch of Go Mouth, Al Foran's Football Forum, a Go Loud original podcast. Uh, you can see it there on your screen, a new episode every Tuesday where you can expect unapologetic biased football opinions. Al Foran, good morning to you. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we? So you're leaving your, uh, you're, you're bringing your United uh, fandom with you in, <laughs> behind the mic. Is that what's happening here? Yeah, no, listen, it's, it's a brilliant opportunity to be part of the, the Go Loud roster um, and I, I suppose to have the opportunity to I suppose air my grievances about Manchester United at the moment, as opposed to doing it on Twitter. Every how long? Time. How long is the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're look, we're looking at a forty-five minute time limit on on the podcast. It might stretch to an hour, you know. So, yeah, it's 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 fun, and I suppose 
uh, my tweets get a lot of engagement and that's kind of what the, the guys in Go Loud uh, identify with me starting up this podcast, you know. Um, I talk about Man United a lot on Twitter and I suppose it's the best way to put it to use is, uh, <laughs> for people to hear my real voice. Have you, um, Tuesday. Have you a sidekick? How are you, you going to work it? Some sort yes. of a foil? Yes, yes, we have a co-host and, and I suppose it creates a great dynamic, um, Paddy Murphy. Uh, formerly of Rory Stories and massive TikTok following, uh, huge Liverpool fan. Ah. So yeah, <laughs> it it creates a great a great dynamic every Tuesday. But he's Paddy kind of plays this. Uh, you could say a persona on TikTok as the you say deluded Liverpool fan, <laughs> but on the podcast he's kind of he's fair, he's balanced. You know, he's he shows a sense of diplomacy every week when talking about Liverpool. He tries not to kind of go into me a little bit about United. Yeah, he'll have to he'll have to park that soon enough. That's the, <laughs> that reasonableness <laughs> needs to needs to exit stage left. And um, so, are are you? Will you take interactions? How do you? What's the gives a sense of the format? Well, the format is. I mean, we're going to talk about obviously there'll be a focus on United every week, um, and also a focus on what's going on around the Premier League. And other leagues as well. Like I want to include everything, and I suppose you can't you can't do something without me doing my my usual spiel. So we have a segment called Famous Faces, where I'll impersonate many different characters from the footballing world and the acting world, the music world, the world of politics, just to kind of I suppose get an obscure take on what say Robert De Niro. Al Pacino or Mark Wahlberg or Gordon Ramsay think of what's going on in the Premier League <laughs> or Man United every week as well. So there's that. Is there? So that it, that should be a fun element to it. And come here, are you, like it's it's different, right? Sending out a tweet when you're sitting in your couch and you're hacked off with Ronaldo not making an effort <laughs> to sit behind the mic and haven't given voice to it. Are you apprehensive about that aspect of it, or looking forward to that sort of element of be, developing the thoughts a bit more? I suppose. No, I am. I, I am 100. Um, I don't want to be too toxic and I don't want to have too many agendas Um, when a player when I'm criticising a player it's coming from the heart you know what I mean I don't have any I don't have any issues with with players uh, at the club Uh, I know there's a lot of you see there's kind of there's a kind of a split between fans and Man United like there's a lot of fans that would prefer Pogba over Bruno or Bruno over Pogba Mm. there's a lot of fans that uh, I was talking just before we came on Andy Mitten talking about McTominay. There's a lot of fans that don't particularly like McTominay because he's maybe not at the level of a Rodri or a, or, a, or a Fabinho. You know, I don't want to kind of bring that in. I don't want any agendas on the podcast. Do you, if you had to put a, a number of years on it, Al, how many more years of pain do you think you're going to suffer as a Manchester United fan? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... I think we're with the rumours of Ten Hag coming in. I think we're we're kind of heading towards rebuild number five. Right. <laughs> this is the one. This is the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the one. Um, no, no, no pun intended. But that was a Stone Roses song. But uh, yeah, no, it's. Um, I don't know. A couple. Of, I hope. I hope in the next year or two, things do improve. Um, in the first episode, I was very honest about Ronaldo. I think. That was obviously a panic signing and, you know, the the overall kind of euphoria of him signing for the club uh, back in August is a distant memory. That Newcastle game is, is also a distant memory and he's just not 
putting it in the Premier League, unfortunately, and that's that's natural. Age catch it, catches up with you, and um, I think there's kind of a, an issue up front for United, so they need to address that in the summer transfer window. Have you met many of the current dressing room? Uh, no, I haven't. Right. I've, I've, met, <laughs> I've met a lot of the the, the older uh, players, the ex players, more so. Would you? Are you? Are you? Uh, I know you're. You're not wanting to lay the boot in here, but like, are you? Does Ronaldo get dropped this weekend? Like, given the form he's in, and um, yeah, like no goals. Obviously, it's going very little. Um, well, I suppose if Cavani, if Cavani is fit, which I believe, I think he is for Sunday. Then yeah, I, I would probably mm. go go with Cavani over Ronaldo. But he likes to go. He likes to have a, a holiday every now and then as well. You know, so. It's just it's a huge issue. It's it's a massive issue, and, yeah. and Martial obviously gone off to to Sevilla as well. So, come here. I'm looking over your shoulder, and it's reminding me of I've, I think I've seen you uh, during the week. I don't know, was it an old clip hanging out with John Fury? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was put on the spot by Gareth Davies um, to do the, <laughs> the John Fury impression in front of the, the man himself. Um, yeah, so I was okay. I wasn't <laughs> sweaty wasn't palms. Like, I wasn't like Carl, what like Carl, Carl Frampton uh, during right. the week. <laughs> What's it? Um, is is there? I mean, outside of the physical presence of somebody that likes John Fury, is there? Um, are are you apprehensive when you when you're in that company? Like you know, like the Paul Scholes or Gary Neville, or whatever it might be. Is that? Um, yeah. How do you how do you find all that when you actually get in front of them yeah. and they're like, okay, do me now? Yeah, I, I'd naturally be very nervous. But I just, I just go with it because uh, I, I kind of specialize in, in those kind of one-off videos. If if I am in front of a, a celebrity or anything like that, I will either impersonate them or I'll do a round of impersonations, just talking about whether it's an upcoming match or an upcoming fight or something that they have going on in their in their lives at at the moment. Like I, I'm kind of. At first, I was nervous doing it, but now I'm I'm okay, I suppose. <laughs> Are you like? Because I can imagine, like getting into that sort of company, and you're behind the scenes, like you know, it's you're there hanging out with them. You're probably wanting to pepper them with a million questions, and they're probably like, "Come on, perform for me, do do that thing." <laughs> are you ever like, are you ever like, "Listen, can we just, I let, let's just have a chat? Can we just have a chat here?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's uh, that's the funny thing as well. But I, I'm I've I've come to a point in my life where I am more comfortable doing those voices than I am being being me really professionally. Yeah, well. I suppose like the podcast is 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 another thing, and that I can kind of I can be Al for say thirty five minutes, forty minutes of that podcast, and then five minutes is dedicated to the impressions as well. Mm. But yeah, I have I've become so comfortable with that, yeah, unbelievably so. It's crazy. It's it's a weird old thing. <laughs> like to the point where you're you're nearly like you say you're sort of happier in that persona almost like when you're yeah. when you're in that no, company. No, 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 listen, don't get it confused. I'm not like that in front of, you know, my fiancé. <laughs> Wake up in the morning. Who, who am I in bed with no, this morning? Yeah. No, 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 my daughter, you know, my daughter is telling me to do Grandpa Pig from Peppa Pig and a few of the Paw Patrol characters, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm like that for her on a daily basis. Who's your but, Paw Patrol? Um, who's your Paw Patrol number one? <laughs> Mayor Goodway. Oh, Mayor Goodway. Gives a blast to Mayor Goodway. There's plenty of people. 
Chicoletta, hello. Where's Ryder and the Paw Patrol? <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's also a huge hit. And even the, she loves Sing as well. So I was doing matching, the Matthew McConaughey character and Sing. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like, um, what, what? Just uh, the last one on those that meeting up. How has anybody t- taken it badly? Like, I know you're not necessarily overly, like you said earlier on, like sort of toxic or cri- overly critical of people in that regard. But has anybody taken it badly? Um, look, I don't know if he did or not, but I, I do remember, and it was at the very start of me kind of, you know, learning that impression. I did a gig. Um, in Manchester for the class of 92 and I did Gary Neville in front of Gary Neville mm. and um, he it was kind of a, it was about, I'd say 10 10 or 12 tables and he kind of gave me a little side eye when I did that impression <laughs> <laughs> wow. and that was it really <laughs> yeah. like I think I think there was a little chuckle and there was also a bit of a side eye. <laughs> in the, Gary Neville's never been confrontational in a life uh, <laughs> situation ever before, has he? Uh, no. Yeah. It's a, it, like I guess there's a situation where like there's a a lot of people of note who you can't really uh, be surprised when they take themselves too seriously, but you are playing with fire a little bit when when you go in with that knowledge. I I suspect. I, I've listen. I've I've been lucky enough, you know, that they've they've taken us they've taken it well they've taken it on, on the chin um, which is you know which I'm grateful for as well you know it's that's that's a, that's a good thing I suppose um, hopefully you know fingers crossed touch wood I don't have an experience like that in the future <laughs> I did think I was going to have it with John Fury but he liked the impression so thank God for that <laughs> um, we don't want to let you away without actually tapping into some of that so what Gary's what would Gary Neville make of this new podcast do you think well I mean I think as well I think I'll need to tap into to the likes of him. He's got to get guests on. I mean, you get guests on every week. That's really important when you're doing a football podcast. I mean, you just don't have the likes of myself, you know, Jamie Carragher, you know, or, or Eamon Dunphy for that matter or something like that. You get someone on, you get an actor who's a football fan. It's, it's, a, it's a football fan's podcast primarily for the fans, right? <laughs> and come here Stevie G Stevie G obviously he's uh, he's very much back in the game back in everybody's radar at the minute of course it's great obviously you know what I mean I know Al isn't obviously the biggest fan of me because he's a Manchester United fan and I know that Paddy the co-host is obviously you know you know, he worships me but obviously we're going to talk about Aston Villa and not in the best of form at the moment but you know hopefully that turns around of course <laughs> <laughs> is there is there a, I saw you like sort of when you're when you're getting into character almost right away there is a physical kind of aspect to it as well is there yeah and it's funny as well you know the, it, you learn the voice and the mannerisms they naturally come with with learning the voice you don't that's like an automatic thing yeah it's it's a it's a weird old process. Like you don't yeah. have to. It's not a step by step process in learning an impression. It's just the voice and then the mannerisms just naturally come with it. What about Harry Redknapp? What's uh, he's been? It kind of disappeared off people's radar. Mm-hmm. People love him, obviously, but he's sort of disappeared off people's radar, hasn't he? But well, well, you know, I, I don't, don't want to, you know, talk about. It. I don't want to be on the radar too much, you know. I'm <laughs> enjoying retirement as well, you know, and. You know, the, the terrific time I had in it. I'm a celebrity. It was fantastic, you know, and it really was, you know. Really. And you guys are great, you know. 
I, I, I watch you guys every morning. You're fantastic, you know, and all the all the transfer rumours are brilliant, you know. So fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Good man, Harry. And come here before we, we let you off. We better get a word from ahead of the Manchester Derby at the weekend. Is Pep? Is he? Is he feeling a bit confident about this? He must. It's in the bag, really, for Pep, isn't it? You know, of course, we are feeling very confident because you have to look look at the team, Manchester United at the moment. You know, okay, maybe they are more disciplined since uh, Ralph came in, but we have to win the league. It's very important. We need to go consistent, <laughs> okay? Because my players, there is no passion. No passion, you know that, lads. There's no passion. The guys, they go out onto the pitch and they are robots, okay? They are my robots. You know, it's like I have a PlayStation controller and I'm controlling these players, okay? Good. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. From uh, Mayor Goodway to Pep Guardiola, I think we've we've pretty much covered it all off. Listen, there's a Ralph there as well, if you want, if you want. Go on, who? You know, there's a Ralph as well to play. You have to do uh, Ralph Rangnick. <laughs> It's very important for us to play good football. You know, every Man United manager I've had to learn that's come in. It's 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 important to do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good man. Listen, fair play. Sorry, well sorry, done. Sorry, great, sorry. great sport. Enjoy the game of the weekend. Best luck with the podcast. Thank you very much, lad. Thanks so much. Come on, thanks a lot. Al Foran there. Uh, Goalmouth, Al Foran's Football Forum. It's a Goal Out original podcast. New episodes available every Tuesday. And you can just head along, download the Goal Out app now. And uh, you can pick up, as Al was talking about there, the very first episode. And stay tuned for more to come. Right, we're going to bring you the full chat with Eddie Brennan, half past nine this morning. But uh, before all of that, here he is on the current state of Limerick. Eddie, that maybe he hasn't got that because I was listening to the hurling pod uh, with Paul Murphy and James Gehlin. Paul was talking about that, about the young players that he was bringing in and that they haven't really proven themselves yet. And uh, are we overestimating the strength and depth of this Limerick squad? I know. I, I've, I've, look, if they were good enough to be playing, it's it's that simple. And, and it was said about, you know, I suppose maybe our group, it was, it was something that was said once upon a time with us that it was, you know, and there is equally good fellas there on the bench. But when you're thinking of, you know, you can maybe, whatever, Tom Morris is injured someday or one of your wing backs, and you can drop in a guy. And like I said, he has the comfort of seven or eight experienced guys all around him. And that's that's different. But when there's four or five of them playing in one in each line, that's a little bit different. You know, that's a little bit harder because, you know, you're now maybe having to step up a little bit more. And yet, you can say maybe they're not ready just yet, but um, I, I do think you know someone like Colm O'Neill is, is is plenty good enough. I think he has shown that, and I do think. Sorry, the the point I want to make there, I suppose, the equally important one is there are certain fellas, obviously, too, within that Limerick team. You know, you have obviously fifteen very strong guys and a couple of good lads on the bench that they have, but the certain guys within that core then that they just can't be without, and I think Keen Lynch. Maybe, you know, uh, Decton Hannum with the two guys, Burns and Hayes, either side of them. You know, having, you know, a certain guys there, they provide leadership. Uh, they take the pressure off maybe other lads there. So I think what you're seeing is that if, if certain guys aren't in certain positions, definitely there's a vulnerability about them. That full chat uh, with Eddie Brennan uh, is coming your way half past nine this morning and uh, also if that doesn't suit you you can get the thing in full on the OTB GA feed on our uh, podcast network and on YouTube as well. Tommy Welch on The Hurling. The Hurling Pod with James Gehill and Paul Murphy 
um, will be available there as well. The Football Pod with James O'Donoghue and Paddy Andrews. Final episode of the Club Championship uh, show available there as well. You'll get both the Gaelic football and uh, hurling power rankings as well. And uh, also an interesting chat from um, during the week with uh, Joe in conversation with Jason Sherlock and um, Maliki Turkamore that we're talking about fly goalkeepers and uh, the value of them or not, I suppose, as might have been the case uh, last weekend. So that is all available on the OTB GEA feed. Let's give you a bit of a sense of what's happening on the back pages this morning, starting with otbsports.com. They uh, must wonder how we're producing these keepers, says Gavin Cooney, who was in with uh, Nathan on the football show last night. That conveyor belt of keepers certainly keeps on giving. Graham McDowell provides a Ryder Cup uh, update on the Ryder Cup captaincy. Basically, he doesn't want it. Yet. He doesn't want to go toe-to-toe with Zach Johnson. He's still got a chance of playing, I'd say he believes. So he's opting out. Uh, Maloney and Nupu miss out on the Ireland Six Nations squad and Russia confirming appeal uh, to uh, the Court of Arbitration for Sport over FIFA and UEFA expulsion. It's also a theme that's taken on across a lot of the back pages this morning. We'll kick off here with the uh, Irish Independent this morning. Eddie's exit ups the ante for Ireland's women's game. Uh, and this is the RFU taking some time to look for suitably qualified coaches to replace the uh, departing director, writes Sinead Kassan here, and uh, the fallout from that will continue today. There's a report into Ireland's failure to reach the World Cup, uh, which I think will be published at 12pm today, so it'll be interesting to see the details of that, and I think there's a press conference later on as well. But certainly interesting timing uh, that Anthony Eddy would exit the scene, and also the I mentioned the... Um, the fact that Lena Maloney and Sandy Nupu weren't involved in the, haven't been named in the squad in itself, interesting as well, very critical obviously of the regime when it all flared up last year, so I'm sure there's plenty more to follow on that um, and an interview inside with uh, Gordon Elliott as well, by the way, it was a case across a lot of the papers today, it was rough seeing horses leave and staff crying, um, the words of Gordon Elliott inside that's the Irish Independent, the Irish Times this morning, um, Ron Don after his uh, heroics last night uh, for Everton. Uh, they managed to beat Bournemouth in the end. 2-0, a couple of late, well, late-ish goals, two goals in the last half hour. Uh, Rondon brings Boreham's fairy tale to an end. Uh, plans to hold biennial World Cup and no-go, says Alexander Seferin, the UEFA president. Uh, Lisa Fallon, interesting stuff there. It's not enough for a club to have a women's team, I guess, to just have a women's team is the point. There's the um, Women's National League kicks off the SSE Electricity Women's National League kicks off tonight and the point being that we're sort of moving beyond the stage of just having a National League that there probably has to be something a bit more uh, with a bit more depth to it than just taking the box that uh, she speaks about the great coverage that the Cup Final had um, last year and that there needs to be just a bit more of that essentially uh, Mur- uh, Irish Daily Murphy this morning at Sars and Stripes US tycoon Bowley now in pole position to buy Chelsea after Premier Chief uh, tells Bramvich his reign was unsustainable and plenty more inside there as well on that uh, we have the London Times League plan to fast track Chelsea sale uh, sanctions hit Everton hard this is obviously the continuing fallout of uh, Alisher Usmanov's involvement uh, that is the Times for you there a couple more that will give you a bit of a flavour of here the Irish Daily Star uh, buy and sell it says in relation to Chelsea a Bramvich sale of Chelsea could be done in days as these two businessmen billionaire businessmen I think they've got like the guts of 10 billion quid between them uh, Bowley and um, his Swiss uh, counterpart as well so we'll see how that pans out over the next few days as well 
That is uh, the star for you, the Irish Daily Mail. Cup price Chelsea, Swiss tycoon and LA Dodgers owner want the club for less than £2 billion. Pressure on Abramovich uh, to make quick sale as sanctions threat grows. UK government tells Blues that they will not be hit. And uh, Eddie uh, steps away, writes Rory Keane here. Eddie steps away with the RFU report due today. Um, and uh, the last one we'll give you here is the Irish Sun this morning it's unfair on Rom this was the details of the story that Owen was mentioning a bit earlier on Stavely I'm sad that the club has been taken from him a billionaire consortium set to bid for the Blues so and it certainly seems listen to fans on some of the uh, some of the fans that were vox popped outside Chelsea yesterday fans really don't care too much do they about that sort of stuff it's a bit of an inconvenience that they have to be asked about Roman Avengers links to Vladimir Putin by and large if we could just get on with bringing in huge players try to win trophies it's such a race to the bottom in so many ways because there are not many trophies to go out in any given season it's largely going to end up in failure for you one way or the other and that the price you're paying is that you're okay with your club being associated with who now turns out to be an absolute megalomaniac dictator um, we're fine with that it's I don't know I don't know we will see how it all plays out over the next weeks and months, but um, it's a conversation that I know we've already had, and I'm sure we'll come back to. Um, but it's it's uh, it is grim enough. Right, you're watching OTBM. We're coming up on twenty to nine. It is Friday morning. We're brought to you uh, live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless effortless uh, finish to your day. And a reminder as well, by the way, all the best stuff will be available on the. Um, OTB highlights feed and you can check us out on YouTube and uh, all of those good places as well we're going to go to quick picks in just a couple of moments time uh, we've lots to get into this weekend uh, I don't really want to talk about what happened last week I think I've had an absolute whitewash on yeah did you get whitewashed last week was a bit yeah. of a minefield to be fair I see uh, Tommy conveniently took him himself out of last week knowing that there was going to be yeah. a, a, it was going to be a very tricky week to predict fair point. improving his own ratio yeah, it's a fair point. Which is fine, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, there is some, there's a lot of rumour and rancour, and certainly a lot of rancour doing the rounds, but uh, it does, there's some indication that the organiser of the event, the president of the Quick Picks, is going to uh, call a halt to it. Who's that? After the league, Tommy. Oh, why? He's, he's basically saying that the entire league system is a shambles and it just needs to be put a bullet in it after, after the league is done and start afresh for the championship and to be honest with you it's not the most it is not from the mouth of many ridiculous ideas it's not the most hmm. yeah no I, 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 let's see let's see where we're standing after the league and then make a call on it then right uh, time for the quick picks so many critics these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from but they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team all you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion 20 to 9 Ashling Will good morning to you morning folks uh, Tommy has just made a note here in our production document to say I've butchered the entire league system to be fair he's not wrong yeah, this whole yeah. thing is an absolute disgrace I didn't realise that we're actually not starting a fresh come championship no I think we should Ashley I think it's the, it's the fairest Please. thing to do <laughs> oh my god yeah I, I definitely um, it's a whitewash for me as well I have not been successful at all so I would be happily to, to restart for championship please I'm uh, contractually obliged as I, I think. recall 
Go on, Adrian, when this went to pot about a couple of years ago, we just started adding bonus points and we started adding points for correct predictions and stuff. So well, I, you, you say went somehow. to pot, Will. I say I was in a uh, absolutely uncatchable lead and then the lads just decided that that wasn't going to make enough, that wasn't going to be entertaining enough, so they had to change the rules and I ended up getting beaten and that's 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 what happened there. Now, I, I'm contractually obliged, I think, to mention last week's results. Do we have to, have we something to look at? Hopefully, uh, we do. That's the overall standings. At least that's not so bad. Uh, and it's own, even with the paltry 59% I, yeah well I think I only got two uh, two correct predictions last week out of whatever it was eight or something like that so my yeah, average has come down considerably it feels like that there's been a lot of rogue results is that me sort of um, no I'd say it's probably just, kind to my 37% uh, we there we just have no clue to be honest we're, bu- <laughs> we're a bunch of clowns we don't know anything I think that's probably closer to the I think that's the a good way to set up this item uh, right let's have a look at what, we're, uh, what we've got lined up for you this week we're going to start with uh, Cork Galway Division 1A Porky Keeve and it is Cork across the board uh, I mean like these are always images that precede unfortunate events these well, whitewashes th- a part of mine was like listening to um, Will O'Callaghan on yesterday's AM and uh, there was no other way to go Will after listening to your Sermon on the Mount on behalf of the pe- good people of go- uh, Cork yeah don't back down double down if you're going to go with them and say that they're in form it would have been very silly if I turned around and went hey Cork have been so impressive in their first three games but go we're going to go to Porky Cueve and beat them yeah, I mean, this is game of the weekend in Division 1A with no disrespect to Clare and Limerick, which we'll probably talk about in a few moments' time as well. But Galway have to show a little bit of a response from the way that they played against Wexford last week, which is a bit disappointing on the back of having to gone to the Gaelic grounds and won just before the break, while Cork are the latest team to go and beat Limerick at home in the league so far this year. For Cork, there's an incentive to basically book themselves into the league semi-finals if they were to beat Galway this week at Porky Cueve. And they'll want to show that they can back up particularly the first half performance performance uh, that they put in against Limerick last time mm-hmm. out so I think Cork are just motoring a little bit better than Galway at the moment but welcome along all of you to Galway supporters tweeting you if Galway win Oof. at Porky Cueve this weekend yeah. because I've been enjoying this for a few weeks now like I guess it'll be just a, a double whammy because uh, you're in the, the hurling power rankings sort of crosshairs as well Will but like I think there's reason like I mean we're not just all it's not just a coincidence that uh, this, this show has like gone all of Cork I think that there's real tangibles and then there's also the, the intangibles of Cork not having won the league I think now for, for 24 years at this point there's like a real incentive for them to actually be like okay well we might not get our hands on the All-Ireland we have to start somewhere if there's going to be a red wave coming there might not be a bad place to start mm. in the National League over the next little while so I think that they're really going for this at the moment like obviously there's been a lot spoken on the, the hurling pod and, and elsewhere as well about Mark Coleman and, and him slotting into to centre back this year which has been the most important position for Cork certainly when they were picking through the wreckage of last year's All-Ireland hurling final and then you look at the Galway side of things and, and while they are going well uh, and they make a couple of like encouraging changes uh, this week like it'll be good to see Conor Whelan in the attack they do have the likes of Gavin Lee who's coming into start who was playing for presentation Athen Rye just on, on Monday night so they're trying out youth there's certainly a bit more of an experimental feel to, to Galway at the moment than there is to Cork who look like that they're going out to win this entire thing Did you agonise Ashling or was it clear enough for you? Yeah, it was a bit of a tough one. I think Cork, they started like a train, you know, three wins out of three. I think last week's performance was probably the really dominant performance when they bet Limerick. Um, and that was just six months, you know, after that All-Ireland and 16 points they they lost that day. So Galway, on the other hand, then I just saw, you know, they'll be disappointed after being beaten by Wexford. But they're a team that are on the rise at the minute. And just listening to Henry Shefflin speaking after the game, you know, he was saying that, 
people might have got a, carried away a bit with their first two performances. But then after Sunday, they, they know where they're at now. They know what work they need to do. And it's no harm to be losing games. I don't think in the league, you know, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to work on things for, for a championship. It can only be positive. So I do think it's going to be seriously close. But I think Cork, at the form they're in at the minute, Quirky Cueve, I just think, yeah, they, they're going to edge it. Okay. I, th- I think I heard Henry behind you there, Will. What's his name? What's the oh, dog? Tank, yeah. Tank. W- would you believe, right? I've hidden every single toy that makes a squeaky noise. And somehow, <laughs> in the time that my back has been turned uh, to go on to chat to you guys, he's managed to find the squeaky Well, it was just when you made that point about Cork. I think he was like, listen, well, come on. We've got it. We've got it. I think he was. I think he was like Conor Whelan's back. Don't be uh, underestimating Galway this weekend. Do you know what we do? If there's if there's another washout this week, we'd be better off getting Hank the Tank and <laughs> two balls and uh, <laughs> put put food in, in each of those and just uh, teeing it up with the, with the other way, Paul the Octopus style. <laughs> you can take my. Oh, spot don't rule no this content out, Owen. That would be good. Actually, I would. I would actually genuinely watch that. Dublin Kilkenny one uh, B Parnell Park. Uh, let's have a look and it's Dublin across the bo- I'm really surprised oh I have to say on both is, of these that we've both all gone in like and I, 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 I Donegal Kenny win right I, now well, well the, that's exactly the point that like I think maybe with both of these games you're not going to be overly astonished with if it swings the other way but I, and like to be honest with you I was, I'd ridden Kenny down and I thought oh, I actually thought that's too obvious and it's too easy and given the basis of what happened last weekend that uh, surely you know this is a better indicator where this Dublin team are at Ashling and like that that uh, when in Tipperary as well it must be said it, like is a good recommendation Oh massive yeah um, Dublin are definitely a team from the last two years that I've been really impressed with you know they're really exciting players look like a team that's very much been developing trying to find their style and I think things are just clicking for them at the moment and they're definitely on the way up um, an unbeaten start two wins a draw and as you said getting that win in Central Stadium last weekend they're going to take a lot of confidence from that um, on the other hand, you've got Kenny, who had no trouble against Leash to get back on track. They had one point defeat then to Tipperary the previous week. And yeah, I, th- I think you can never ride off Kenny. They're always uh, finding their feet, getting more and more players back into the team. And yeah, I think Brian Cody, he was speaking as well after the game. And he just said, like, they're a team that's they want to try and settle now, settle and form a team coming up to championship. So that threw me a little bit thinking... Okay, they they might be um, they might edge this one, but then I was thinking Parnell Park, the form Dublin are in. So yeah, I do think it's going to be extremely close. It was a tough one. I went back and forth, but in the end, I I went for Dublin just about. Yeah, Saturday nights under lights. I don't know, quite mm. lights at five o'clock. Well, is the is performance Go again. For this one, like, so there's two very different form lines for this yeah. one. Kilkenny have won the two games that they would have been expected to win in Division One B, so. They got over the line against Antrim and they kind of pulled away a little bit, despite the fact they finished the game of 14 men against Leash last time out. So they're two games they would have expected. They kind of got edged out against a Tipperary team where both sides are very clearly in transition and trying to change what they're doing. This is the most difficult game they've had in the league so far. It's going to a Dublin team on the back of what they did at Temple Stadium last week, where I thought they put a really good defensive performance in and had a really good defensive shape with the exception of Jake Morris who played really well for Tipperary they kept some key players quiet including Jason Ford for Tipperary last week Dublin have got this interesting formation out of the ball when they don't have the ball as well particularly in opposition bookouts where they go on a straight line they create almost an eye and then the idea is once they get the ball they spread it out into wide positions and there's loads of space for players to run into they've hit the season running they've put in some really good results so far and some very good performances and as a result, I think you've got to back 
where Dublin are at at this stage in the league compared to Kilkenny. As much as people say Kilkenny are in the long grass and all that kind of stuff. Also with Kilkenny, they're probably going to have their two-star young players in Ballyhale Shamrocks back for this week in Cody and Mullen. But we know that TJ Reid is still away. So hmm. Kilkenny are a few weeks before they get back, I think, to full tilt again. And as a result, I'm back in Dublin to... Uh, winning consecutive weeks here Frank the Tank is not disagreeing with that what's he uh, got he's, not, he's all over it he hears Dublin and he's loving it, um, it there could be a situation Adrian where you know in a little while people will just love to get one over the Dublin hurlers as well as the Dublin footballers it'll be you know a, a sense of uh, retribution for all the, the the havoc that this Dublin hurling team is going to cause this year like they were excellent last week even though I think a lot of us thought that the, the win was going to come to an end so all of a sudden in the space of one game I'm certainly gone from thinking that this is maybe early season um, kind of uh, not uh, an early season flash and I think it's actually going to be something far more sustainable uh, I think that there's a chance that this thing is like a day low level of a blue wave coming in this Dublin team over yeah. the next little while we'll see what happens this summer obviously before we before we get that but even when you're looking at um, sort of like tangibles obviously uh, playing in, in Parnell Park is going to be a big thing Owen O'Donnell last week was, was really good on, on Jamie Callan and, and I think whoever he's going to be on this week is, um, is probably going to be in for a tough enough evening so that's probably a couple of the things that you'll be looking at for Dublin this week but I again I'm looking at um, our, all of us just going for Cork and for Dublin and given that we got 2 out of 10 or 2 out of 8 last week at the best at best this is going to be a very very tough weekend I, stay off Twitter m- most of my picks were based on the fact that I thought Ushamux were all going to go a different direction so that's um, I'm very disappointed now. and actually listen to Will I nearly want to change my pick because I thought Will despite picking Dublin most of your recommendation there was for Kilkenny to be honest with you but um, you know reading between the lines we'll see we'll see how it all pans out and Owen I have to say in fairness to yourself like there's nothing worse than if you've backed a team you don't need to you know if, if it turns out to be the wrong call then the right thing to do is what you're doing and you know jump ship get behind the new cause yeah uh, sorry well, I don't know what the uh, what the reference is there but so, sure oh, so yeah I, I, I endorse that message it's always a reference to oh, Kildare football somewhere along the line uh, right moving on Claire Limerick Ennis uh, 1.45 start on Sunday uh, Limerick across the board uh, well, we've got no. one standout here with Owen is going for Claire so yeah. lead the way look I mean I, I know why people have gone for Limerick I mean they, they have played each other already this year Limerick won by nine points I think that game was in Cusick Park as well and uh, you did have Brian Lohan coming out after the game and he was saying they're certainly not going backwards in their professionalism the quality of players that they have great resources most early people will accept that they are the standard at the moment there was almost a resignation to Lohan's comments after getting beaten by nine points against the same opposition just at the end of January I think it was so have things narrowed enough between then and now we'll find out this weekend but I just think like we've been backing against the Dubs over the last little while you you, you back against a team that are out of form and I know that's where if you're looking for, for form teams at the moment you're looking at Galway or sorry you're looking at Cork and Dublin you're not necessarily looking at Clare but I think Limerick have been out of sorts so far it doesn't matter it, it's not going to matter come the summer but it's going to matter for this weekend I think and yeah. I think that's uh, I think that if we're picking on form and we're picking on, on home advantage, two things that are, are, are very important at this time of year, I think Clare are going to win. So well, it's, a, it's I, a, a simplistic enough another, rationale. Another argument I've listened to, and I feel as if you're making the opposite recommendation, That, but we'll see. I mean, look, and I take the point. And Martin Story was making the same point this week that the league means absolutely nothing to Limerick. It's about finding a few new players. And it's not, Ashling, essentially a Dublin-style slide here. Yeah, but it has to mean something in terms of getting a bit of momentum, starting something. Like, they have no wins whatsoever, like, seriously struggling. So you have to build some sort of momentum. So I, I don't believe that it doesn't matter whatsoever. But um, I thought last week that definitely that was going to be their first win. My prediction was way off. 
Um, and then they lost to, to Galway before that. So they just look so disjointed at the minute. Mm. Things just haven't clicked. A lot of wides last week. Um, but I have gone for them this week. And I nearly was on the same boat as Owen. You know, I did put down Claire and then I changed my mind last minute because I, I just thought, you know, they have to pull things together here. They have to pull something out of the bag. Um, Claire, on the other hand, they have a little bit of a mixed start. You know, they're beaten by Wexford. Um, but then they, I did think they impressed then against Offaly. So a close call, but I did th- I do think that Limerick will edge a swim because I feel they actually have to they have to get a performance. You're all aboard the they're gonna come right, Will. <laughs> yeah, look, Jesus Christ went into a desert for forty days. Limerick have got forty days to get ready to play Cork in the championship. <laughs> that's where we're at at this stage. You can almost park everything that's happened so far to Limerick, the two defeats, all the talk around you know, the red cards and whether they're now being punished by referees for hand passes and for the kind of edge that was about Limerick in the last couple of years that maybe wasn't punished before. Park all that to one side. Limerick kicked things off in Ennis this weekend with the win. They probably beat Offaly the week afterwards and people quickly forget a bit like last year that Limerick failed to win the first three games in the league. If Limerick lose this weekend against a Clare team who have shown very little in the league so far, then you start to get concerned with Cork's form and just over a month to get ready for that first meeting in the Munster Championship. That's the difference to last year, is the really quick turnaround between the league and championship. I don't think you can afford to sleepwalk out of the league in the same way that you could have done last year. Unlike Dublin, if you're going to use the direct comparison, Limerick don't really have the concern about relegation that Dublin have currently, where Dublin now need results to stay in Division 1 the league. Like if Even if Limerick were to lose every game, and if the unthinkable were to happen and they were to lose to Offaly, which isn't going to happen in a couple of weeks' time, they'd probably still win the relegation playoff against the team from the other side. Mm. That danger just isn't there in Division 1 of the Hurling League by comparison. And I think there is definitely going to be a kickback from Limerick. The big thing about last week was that Limerick won the second half against Cork, despite being absolutely dominated in the first half. And I wouldn't agree with Ash's take on Clare either. I think Clare took... 50 minutes or so to get going against Offaly in Tullamore. It was a draw game at halftime. They were one point down after 50 minutes. Tony Kelly got going and they managed to beat the weakest team in Division 1 of the league so far. I'm not sure about what we've seen from Clare. I thought they were very poor in Porky Cueve in the opening round of the league as well. And that sets it up perfectly for Limerick to get the first of probably what will be a couple of wins before they come out of the league. What was he doing in the desert for 40 days? Is anybody was there Trying to get out of the desert. Trying to avoid the devil, as far as really, I yeah. Uh, Why did he go in there in the first place? Was, it to self, was there like a heavy night? Was it? Bit of, <laughs> was it? He went in around now. Was that? Is that what we're celebrating at the minute? Well, like, I, I'm just trying to wonder. So, if Limerick managed to win a game while uh, depriving themselves of food and water, and uh, Claire at the receiving end of it, it would. It's basically what Tyrone did last year with the COVID situation. They were definitely in the desert for a long time. Yeah. Um, Waterford uh, Waterford Tipperary Welsh Park uh, quarter to one on Sunday and now at last we have a bit of a split here uh, Ashling, Owen and Will are all taking the obvious route uh, Waterford and myself and Tommy are going out in the limb here with Tipperary um, and to be honest it's definitely another one that I had one answer written down and then I saw it went a different way and like I do get the Waterford thing there's the Liam Cal factor he knows plenty of these uh, players and I know that to be fair Will to you uh, you've been beating the Antrim drum over the last while so maybe I'm reading too much into the fact that they only managed to scrape through uh, in Antrim uh, was it last weekend or the weekend before that uh, they, they only just managed to get there Um and there's a little bit of me that's feeling that this Tipperary team again need to come good at some point. Maybe maybe I'm putting too much stock in that. But you're you're got you're uh, you're in on Waterford. 
Yeah, this is El Cahlico, as it's been called on social media by some <laughs> people, the derby um, with Lee. But yeah, look, again, I think we're going to have his decision to stay in Waterford justified based on the way the season's been going so far. I think Waterford, look, they experimented a little bit last week and they hurled a little bit within themselves against Antrim, it would appear. That happened against Westmead in the league last year. Either side is some good performances from Waterford. So I wouldn't read too much into the fact that Antrim pushed them because you've already alluded to the fact that Antrim gave Kilkenny a good rattle. They were very close to Dublin at Corrigan Park. And then they were a penalty save being tipped over the crossbar away from getting a shock result against Waterford last weekend. So Antrim's form has been decent so far. So I wouldn't be saying, right, well, how can Waterford need to just about get over the line against them? I think Waterford at home, particularly this weekend, the way that they've been going so far in the league, which has been very impressive. Last time they played in Walsh Park, they put seven goals past Leash. So they've got loads of firepower. Didn't see a whole lot from Tipperary in the performance last week against Dublin. Maybe there's going to be a response from them. But based on what we've seen so far, I have to go for Waterford here and probably Waterford by a few points this weekend. I hope this isn't a clip of me that's like that account that's tweets that precede things that happen and Tipperary go in and put in a really good display this weekend. But I just think the day sure are going to win. Ashling, you're also going with the obvious selection. Yeah, yeah I went with Waterford. Um, yeah, remain unbeaten, as uh, Will said, that Sean O'Brien penalty save. That would have been a massive win for Antrim and I'm definitely on the same uh, boat as well with Antrim. They're a really impressive team at the minute. But for Waterford, yeah, they've they've just been really impressive this year. Brilliant game against Leash as well. When then Tipperary, I think they've had a bit of a mixed start, a narrow one-point loss against Dublin, I think it was. And then they went on and uh, Bethel Kenny. So I do think there's very little between them and I went back and forth on this for quite a while. But yeah, I just think with Walsh Park again, taking that into account that Waterford are going to edge you. Um, we'll wrap up on the football this is one of the games that was delayed a few weeks ago Sligo Cavan if I'm right and is back on the uh, back of the agenda now and this is definitely one <laughs> there's a, when you look at these predictions there's only one way that's going to go everybody has gone for Cavan Ashling on Tommy and Will and there's one outlier who's gone for Sligo which is myself and why? I've already outlined yeah, the why? reason why, well the main reason was and this is I'm repeating myself from a couple of weeks ago and, and I appreciate there's been some results in the meantime that might sort of uh, dictate a, a shift away in this theory but basically what happened was we have two uh, Sligo natives Gaelic sports experts uh, around the office in Cahill and Arthur and I asked their opinion a couple of weeks back as to which game which way this game was going to go and they both sneeringly said oh it has to be Cavan so that right there and then there was no way I could I could move off the fact that it's definitely going to be Sligo but uh, all sense says Cavan Ashling. Yeah, I just couldn't look by them, and not at the minute. Uh, the Bet Wexford by seven points, the Bet Carlo look like they're just fine in their form. I think it will be probably one of their toughest games yet in Division Four, but I do think they'll get over the line by maybe three or four points or so. And um, they need to keep on track for that promotion. The likes of Grove McKiernan's uh, playing great stuff for them at the minute, and yeah, they they just look like they're they're trying to get things together, things are forming and happening for them. Sligo, on the other hand, you know, they yeah, they bet Wexford by two points. They bet Carlo comfortably. They lost a tip by five points, which was a bit of a setback for them. But uh, I think that Calvin have to have too much here and Calvin have to start getting those big performances now um, that they should be getting in Division 4, to be honest. All right. That is the... Thanks a million, folks. That's the Quick Picks. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. 
Right, uh, we are in a few moments. I'm going to speak to Ukraine footballer Nicole Kozlova. She was amongst the team that played uh, Ireland, uh, you might remember, at Tala back in November um, and uh, playing her football in Denmark at the minute. We're going to talk to Nicole in just a few moments' time about the unfolding situation in Ukraine. Uh, just to let you know what's happening on OTB Sports Radio uh, over the course of the day, OTB Gold, Catherine Switzer is the interview today. You'll also have your football uh, weekend kickoff coming your way at half past ten this morning with Jer and Co. Live Friday Night Racing at three. Uh, Shane Supple, the um, League of Ireland and former Dublin goalkeeper as well, is um, the Team 33 League of Ireland legend interview this week. And Ronnie, Ronnie Delaney for OTB Gold from six, as well as off the ball on your radios from uh, seven this evening. So you're watching OTB AM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And uh, we are going to speak next to Nicole Kozlova. OTB. Now, five past nine, Friday morning. Uh, Nicole Kozlova is a Toronto-born Ukraine international. She plays her uh, football with Denmark uh, in Denmark with uh, KB Hugga and uh, agreed to... We asked her to come on and she agreed to take our call. Nicole, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Thanks a million for coming on. I, I, I appreciate that it's, uh, these are hard conversations to have and, and um, to have to visit with the unfolding situation there. How are you? You know, holding up, I think uh, reality's kind of set in. It's been a week, day eight, um, but of course, every single day, um, something new comes out and it doesn't get any easier, but you kind of find new ways to adjust. Is it hard? I mean, it's for the rest of us, It's we're watching It's this entire thing unfold on our TVs, on social media, in the newspapers. Is it tough for you to uh, even watch some of that stuff? Oh, yeah, definitely, especially, you know, seeing places that I've been um, or where my friends um, have lived being completely destroyed and lives being lost and videos shown of little kids. Yeah, yeah, every single video, the photo that comes out is really hard to see. Your folks are from Dnipro, if I'm right. Yes, yes, they're from Dnipro. Which is um, in, in la- it's on the east side and inland a little bit. Yeah, yeah, east side a bit more inland than it, you were. It, it's hard. It, ten. If I'm, if I'm right, ten days ago you were at a you had a Ukraine camp in Turkey, a training camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a. It was the international break, so we had a training camp. Um, the girls got together in Turkey, and we had quite a successful training camp. And you're obviously yeah. at that point. You're preparing for games. Your your head is very much in that mindset. Yeah, yeah. So we. It was a friendly tournament in Turkey. We had three games. We won all three, and our focus there was, you know prep for our World Cup qualifiers games in April. Um, and that was our whole mindset, the whole camp. Um, we had a few new girls, so, it was, you know, share, um, c- kind of having them join the team. Our coaching staff is on the newer side. Um, so during camp, you know, all our focus was on football and making sure our team could grow and get better on the pitch. Um, but again, they things quickly changed the day after. Was it, it, was, was it Wednesday that you broke up to go back to your, back to your clubs? Yeah, on Wednesday, yeah, all the players kind of went um, their own ways. That was kind of a travel day. So yeah. some went back to Ukraine. Um, some people like me went to their um, teams abroad. Was there a sense at that point as to what was unfolding, uh, Nicole? And it took the rest of the world, obviously, who were only casually observing, maybe by surprise to a degree. Was there a sense at that point for you guys as to what was unfolding? Um, well, of course, these discussions kind of have been going on for a while. I think as we all know now, the war has been going on since 2014. But I think most from what I've talked to girls prior, we didn't really think he would do this. We didn't think it was possible. Um, You know, it's not something 
you can ever imagine actually happening. So I don't think any of us really thought it was going to happen. And on, on Wednesday, we were all happy, you know, playing cards at the airport, chatting away, talking about our trips home, kind of when they're going to get to their house, um, so-and-so. And so I think, honestly, it took by surprise every single one of us um, Thursday morning when I know some of our girls woke up to bombs going off um, and I woke up to lots and lots of texts from my American friends asking me if I was okay. And I was kind of, I was very confused at first when I just woke up. And once I learned the news again, you know, you just instantly start reaching out to people, you know. And your, your parents, had your, your parents were over to see you in Turkey, Nicole? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you can say thankfully, but also I know we have this bittersweet feeling, but my family is safe in Turkey right now. Um, as I came to watch, um, they're my national team's biggest supporters. They kind of try to see us wherever we go. Mm. Of course they're there to support me, but again, I think they've become, um, my whole team's kind of family at our away games. Um, so yeah, they were in Turkey with us. And have they stayed on in Turkey now? Yeah, they're currently in Turkey. Um, you know, I've had lots of call talks with them and they hope they can make it back to Ukraine when it's once it's safe because no matter they, they want to be there helping as I think the whole world has seen that every Ukrainian, you know, is stepping up to fight for their country. And I know my parents and siblings kind of feel the same way. They want to help in as many ways as they can. Um, right now they're doing it from afar and when they can they'll do it. Uh, more hands-on. Well, it's such a tough decision to have to make. I was listening to an interview with a, a Ukraine MP last weekend who was saying that if you had asked her three days previous about the idea of taking up a rifle, that she would have... It just wouldn't... She would have been in the same mindset that all the rest of us uh, are at the minute and that you just can't comprehend it. And suddenly, when you're faced with this thing and you have to make that choice, she was giving the interview, uh, as I said, with... Uh, she had a rifle in her hand and it's it becomes a reality and a tough choice to have to make, Nicole. That's a... That's something that nobody ever wants to be confronted with. Yeah, and I think nobody really knows how they're going to react to it until, you know, it's put in front of them. Um, But I know personally I've been so proud of seeing, you know, as much how it's awful that they even have to do that, but to see kind of every Ukrainian just step up and do it. um, Yeah. Is it hard to be in some ways to not be there, Nicole, to a degree? No, definitely. I know I felt especially the first few days, I felt really, really guilty that, you know, I was just with my teammates and I got to go back to Denmark, train, even play a game three days later. And my teammates, you know, some of them are living in bomb shelters. Uh, Others, it took them four days to get home, um, you know, just jumping from place to place. And each of them is, you know, scared for their country, scared for their life. Like they never know, even though right now, as I know, all of them are in kind of the quieter cities, but it's one of those you go to bed uh when are we are we next um so it's i i know i felt a bit of guilt kind of that i'm here safe um and it could have been me could have been my family and you know it, yeah do you know what the situation is with say your your home house at the moment is this is it all intact is everything okay in in, in your home area yeah so nipro as you mentioned it's one inside so mm. as of now it's more on the quieter side and it's actually really good. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of volunteers going out. It's, I guess, outside a bit more safe there right now. Um, so the house is intact, but a lot of volunteers going outside. And I know in Nipro, everybody's doing what they can to help the cities nearby that are not so lucky at the moment. So there's almost like a, a migration, not just away from Nipro at the moment. There is a move towards some of the, the more affected cities. Yeah, yeah. So 
yeah, a lot of people, you know, are leaving to go west. But again, mm. everybody is trying to send as much as they can to those cities that are really being impacted right now. Um, so making those, I know in Yipa, they are sitting on the ground and spending hours and hours making those Molotov bottles that the government had asked for help to make. So you just see people there sitting, kind of just working hours because that's all they really can do to help. In terms of your own situation at the moment, is there other Ukrainians uh, in, in in your own locality? Are there people that you've been able to not only just keep in touch with, but, but people that you've actually been able to meet up with who are who are going through the very same thing? Yeah, I, um, you know, right away when this all happened, I knew I wanted to find people kind of in this neighborhood. People in Denmark who are Ukrainians are just, you know, that support. And on Sunday, we had an official demonstration in Copenhagen that I went to. And over 10,000 people came, um, which was great to see in such, I guess, a smaller country. And then even just yesterday, um, I met up with a few Ukrainians and it was thousands and thousands of bags of donation around Denmark. Um, and we spent kind of hours just organizing them and sorting them and putting them into boxes to then be mailed off to Ukraine. And so, you know, I was there with a, for a few hours with some of my teammates um, and just being surrounded by it was like it was other Ukrainians who either moved to Denmark, but even then there were some Danish people who uh, aren't Ukrainian but were there to help. And you just see them work hourly. Like I didn't see a single person take a single break when I was there, just opening a bag, sorting it, putting it to boxes, taping up the box, putting it on the truck, and so on. And it was just consistent hours of work. But first, you had to see those thousands of donations, which you know came from all around the all around Denmark, and then seeing all these volunteers, you know, I know they feel kind of the same way that they're from afar. And so they're trying to do what they can. Um, and it's just, it's a minimum that someone can do when they're here. I presume it's, it, you're, it's nothing else in your mind, Nicole, pretty much. It's you're waking up every morning if you can manage to get some sleep and you're hoping to see some positive news from these loose uh, peace negotiations that are ongoing. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm someone who tries to stay off my phone, um, but in times like this, I think I'm constantly on my phone, just, you know, trying to get the most recent uh, news, check in with my teammates, check in with friends, family, to make sure, you know, everybody's alive. And I go to bed making sure everybody's alive. And then I wake up and the first thing I do is always grab my phone because it's one of those, I'm, you know, hoping that it's quiet. Like there's no, you know, nothing crazy has happened again. And then I always, I'm crossing my fingers and maybe one day I'll pick up my phone and it's all over. Um, but for now, yeah, I'm constantly, you know, that it's always on the back of my mind, no matter what I'm doing. It, it's really interesting because obviously, I guess in in sport, there is this uh, much uh, softer sort of form of, of nationalism and, and being proud in your country. And I guess what we saw on, on Saturday night, certainly uh, in this part of the world, we kind of would have watched the scenes between Mikhailenko and Zinchenko but before the Everton Manchester City game, this deeply emotional moment where there was a, a Ukrainian player on both squads. Have, have you thought about what it's going to be like when you and your teammates do get back together again and, and do eventually play that that first game or that next game I should say uh, as a national team yeah I know right now for a lot of my teammates football isn't mm. even crossing their mind just because you know that's not, not it's not even close to being important to them right now but I know when we do have the opportunity to get back together I, I just it's I don't think there's any words to describe it but I don't think anything or anybody's going to be able to break us and I know already you know, we sing the anthem before every national team game and a lot of us already sing it very loud. Um, and I just, you know, 
I think when that anthem gets turned on and we're all there lined up hugging each other, tears will be shed, but it's just going to be, it's going to be so much strength flowing from each of us um, together. Yeah. I just, I don't really know how to describe what that's going to be like. I know I am looking forward to that day where we can safely and things have been, you know, resolved or I don't know if you can say resolved, but just waiting for that day that I'm back with them. Um, doing what we love to do as a group, but I think there's going to be even so much more meaning to it. And yeah, I, I know I'm going to carry that with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. And uh, I think we're, we're all very much willing that day to come uh, much sooner rather than later. Although there was a chill, I have to say yesterday when the Macron reports of having spoken with Putin and the idea that he wants to take Ukraine, certainly I think sent, uh, sent a chill across the world. Have you any sense or any thoughts about the, this sanctions approach, Nicole? What are your, any, any sense of whether that's going to be, uh, do enough to shift the system from where it's at at the minute? Oh, yeah, honestly, you know, you know, some things you try not to go too much into, but I yeah. think in times like this, they are very important and a necessity. And I know, especially something that we as Ukrainians right now are really pushing is, you know, a no fly zone. Um, something that I think is just, it's very important and needed right now for Ukraine. With, you know, we see cities being destroyed by missiles right now. We see the whole nuclear um kind of being taken over and that's that's huge and very 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 scary so i do think these sanctions have been important and needed uh, very necessary but you know it's not over and it's they're not stopping yet so you just you need to find you need to f- keep um doing things i think is the most important i think that's also something i've been pushing kind of from here it's it's not a one-day thing you know you yeah. posted it to support or like I wore a shirt on Saturday, but since then, you know, every day I've been doing something for Ukraine to keep, you know, uh, informing people, um, making those donations, spending time. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, I think how I feel that it's just not a one and done thing for sure. Yeah. Well, you're doing some great stuff there. Um, we really appreciate you jumping yeah. on the call this morning to give us and our audience a bit of a sense of uh, what it's like for you. Do stay well as well as you can. Thanks William, for speaking with us. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That's Nicole Kozlova. Of, uh, she's a Ukraine footballer. She played in uh, Tala back in November against the Republic of Ireland and really finds herself in that desperate situation now and for her and her family as well. And uh, we appreciate her taking the time to uh, jump on this morning. And by the way, a reminder as well that if you are of a mind to... Um, give money or to be able to donate in some small way at all, the Irish Red Cross website is probably as good a place as you can go um, and uh, to directly support uh, the effort on the ground there to um, help out with uh, with the effort. So that's probably the best place to do that. It's uh, 19 minutes past nine. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTBAM. We have Brian Kerr standing by and on the way to look ahead to the Manchester Derby and some of the football of the weekend. But before that, John Giles uh, was back with Nathan last night. Here he is on Leeds sacking Marcelo Bielsa last, uh, this week. And I think they've been very, very quick off the mark to get rid of him. And I don't know what the situation was, was being. I don't know whether... I heard rumours that uh, Mr. Bielsa turned down players that they wanted to bring in. Mm. But the thing is, were they his players that he wanted, Nathan? You know? Like, they could, if, the, if the director of football, that's what he's, he's there for yeah. a lot of the time, to bring in players, not the manager. So he might have gone and said, right, I'm bringing Joe Bloggs in. And uh, the manager said, well, I don't want him. So they didn't get anybody. So they did, like, the fact is, they got nobody to replace those players in that particular time. 
and with not having a big panel. I mean, if Manchester United, or sorry, well, not now, uh, Liverpool, uh, had three players missing, which they have Salah and these players, they, can, they, have, they have cover. But Leeds don't have any cover. And, and they're very, very, and they spent hardly any money. And uh, I hope that, that all I say is I hope that the new guy comes in, does reach their expectations. But I think Bielsa has performed miracles at Leeds since he's gone there. And I think he deserved to get to the end of the season and hopefully get these players back in and get better results. They could still stay up. John Giles with Nathan last night as he is every Thursday evening and you can check out that full piece in the OTB uh, football feed as well on our podcast network. Brian Kerr, good morning to you. Good morning. Happy birthday. Yeah, how, how are we doing? Are you saving the celebrations of the weekend or were you giving it a big one last night? Sorry, I, I'm just uh, just missing a, a, a bit there, Adrian, is, uh, at the ha- sound of my end. It might be selective there. hearing, but I'm saying happy birthday to you. All right. Okay, well, I think we let that one just move on. <laughs> I'm glad we got through yesterday. Not, not, today. not a discussion point. We're all we're all in the same boat. Uh, but listen, uh, many happy returns to you. Um, come here. Is this the first Premier League game that you will have been back at since the pandemic? Yeah, um, since the since it's actually almost exactly. It'll be two years exactly. The last game we were at was on the eighth of March, uh, two thousand twenty with Manchester United and Manchester City United won 2 nothing, um, and it, it, it was a very good game it was but it was a very strange day I remember um, it was when Covid was more or less in its infancy infancy um, in Ireland and England but the danger signs were already there and I remember going to the game very well that we were masked up and taking the precautions necessary and lots of hand sanitizer with us and uh, doing all the things we were told to do shortly after after that um, in a, let's say, an extreme way. But I remember when we got to England and particularly when we got to the game and got to the, the media room, people uh, were very nonchalant about their approach over there and the media room at Old Trafford is a very tight area it's um, it's not a very it's not a very big room it's it's it, really it should be much bigger given the coverage and the interest that there is in Manchester United obviously that day it was particularly busy with the derby match mm. uh, the room was packed we were in early and got got reasonable places but I always remember how how loose people were compared to how we were, how we were already saying, look, this is really dangerous and we need to take precautions and we need to wear masks and we need to be using hand sanitizer and, and so on. And where their attitude seemed to be, oh, this won't get us, we're fine, this will be grand. And uh, it didn't turn out that way for them or for anyone else. Within a, within a very short period after that, things had deteriorated really, really badly. But the game on the day was was a good game. Manchester United surprise winners. They won 2-0. Uh, Bruno Fernandes chipped the ball over the, a wall uh, to the right-hand side, the Man City goal. Um, it, was, it was a very clever free kick and Martial caught it coming over his shoulder and stuck it into the net and I think Martial he's gone obviously now or he's out alone um, and the second goal was laid on McTominay where Edison tried to pick out a Man City player in the middle of the pitch 
and missed kicked it and Tommy got onto it and, and, and scored from a long way out Edison was out with the goal and uh, that that's kind of how the game was things haven't haven't probably changed dramatically since then Adrian Manchester United were mm. in sixth place that day there was 27 matches gone um Manchester City were in second place. They were a long way. I think they were 22 points behind Liverpool with a game in hand at that stage. And then we had the whole very disjointed remainder of that season when the game stopped shortly afterwards. And uh, there was no games again until June in the Premier League. And then, of course, there was no, no crowds when the game the games did come back. So it'll be a much different situation this week. Thankfully, crowds will be back. They'll be massive crowd obviously at Manchester City and uh, let's hope we get a great game yeah very hard to tell I know like you referenced the game two years ago even if you referenced the game in November the 2-0 uh, win the other way and it felt like much more than a 2-0 win but like very hard to know Brian It's in terms of trying to predict this game they're unpredictable at the best of times but just given obviously United have a new manager but just given the variables certainly on the United side like it's hard to get a sense of how the game is going to go on Sunday yeah, I mean they've been very inconsistent. Um, that, that we initially saw some seemed to be a little bit of progress under Ralph Raniak. Then it seemed to drop off a bit. Now it's look, it's really it's hard to know. I think they're in a in a, in a funny place at the moment. Manchester United they've eight games unbeaten, but they've won four and drawn four. So that's not 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 great. You know, mm. they'd be better off winning six and losing two. The winning four and drawn four, depending on who he, the two losses would have been to. But last week, again, you know, lots of the ball against Watford, loads of chances, but didn't fail to score. And um, a, a bit unusually for Manchester United, usually to get a reward with this late in the game, in injury time or the old Fergie time, whatever it is. But they just they couldn't get a goal. And, um, you know, you add in other draws, draw with Southampton with their leading, draw away to Burnley. Um, draw away to Aston Villa losing the cup game with Middlesbrough on penalties getting knocked out of the cup meant they'd had a they've had a, a free week I suppose for training this week which might help them in terms of the, the city game in particular but overall they're in a they're in a state of flux I suppose and uncertainty about who's going to be the manager next year is it going to be Pochettino is it going to be Ten Hag or is it going to be a, a surprise appointment I saw yesterday a lot of discussion about or suggestion in the paper that Angelotti could be in the in the running even though Real Madrid will win the league at the moment or is there going to be a, they're going to pull someone else out of the bag um, you know players wise as well an uncertainty about the future of, of, of lots of the players obviously like say Ronaldo Cavani Martial um there's probably a few more Pogba, most obvious one in the middle of the pitch, um, and, and several other players. I'd say, but it'll depend on on who who eventually gets to be the manager. Whether Anyak stays on in the role, um, he's supposed to have another two years to be in, in in an advisory role. We'd see if that comes about. But you know, it's a difficult time for Manchester mm. United fans. They're in fourth place at the moment, trying to chase the Champions League positions two points ahead of Arsenal and West Ham but Arsenal have three games in hand five ahead of Spurs so they're a bit certainly a lot to do 
in the last 11 games of the season. They need a good run, which they had two years ago after that uh, Manchester City game. They had quite a good run because, as I said, they were in sixth place that, that day and they ended up at the end of the season in third place on 66 points. 33 points behind Liverpool as it happened at the end but you know they need a very good run between now and the end of the season to confirm a Champions League place but at least they still are going in the in the Champions League second leg of, against Atletico, Atletico Madrid coming up um, well the week after next yeah. um, which you know they, they at home they they should be Atletico Madrid but maybe not Atletico are or uh, showed in the first game, they're still a very, very difficult side to play against, and they completely disrupted Manchester United's rhythm on the night. You know, they didn't play well for the first hour of the game. Eventually, they got themselves a goal, but overall, they were fortunate to get the draw. So they they needed to continue going. They need to continue in the Champions League this season, but they're certainly not guaranteed the top four spot next year. City, on the other hand, look like. They will win the league this year, but there's been a bit of hope for the others. The fact that they dropped five points lately, uh, that defeat the Spurs was a, a big surprise, extraordinary game, and the draw with Southampton. Uh, but other than that, they've been relentless. Liverpool are in great form, have made up five points uh, when, when Manchester City dropped those points. Liverpool won. But they're six points behind of a difficult match against West Ham this weekend. It's hard for Liverpool to stay at the pace that Manchester City are at. But it, it, this is another game where obviously Liverpool supporters and Liverpool club will be hoping City drop points. What would you do with Ronaldo O'Brien since you mentioned him? Like it's, it, the one reason for keeping him in the team has totally deserted him. His goals over the last nine or ten weeks. Is, is it unthinkable that he gets dropped this weekend or is it almost? Uh, does he almost have to? Does he have to play or does Drop he have him. to be dropped? Um, I, 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 I think uh, the fact that Cavani is is injured at the moment makes it easier for the manager, for Ralph Ranyak to leave him out. I mean, he left him out a, a few weeks ago and there was a whole furore around it. And uh, I think I said after the, the commentary match with Manchester United and Leeds a week ago, two weeks ago, when United came back... Uh, our Leeds come back from 2-0 down United ultimately won 4-2 that uh, when he was last left out of the team he sat on the bench with a face like a robber's dog he he doesn't look like he's a great team player in that situation but given Cavani has been injured and I don't think he's available for selection at the moment for this weekend it looks like Ronaldo Ronaldo will play again I mean I, I wouldn't be overcritical of the front players that didn't score the goals last week, but they should have. I mean, they got got something like 22 shots to goal and numerous clear-cut chances, and they didn't take them. But I think he'd play in this game. Um, uh, Yeah, I do. I do. I do think Ronaldo will will, will play in the in in, in the City game. And come good. Well, he's you know the law of averages. He. He doesn't. He doesn't generally go for long periods without goals. He's not like a. He's not. He's not like a, a streak centre forward, who has streaks of, uh, of 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 goals like in twos and threes and the odd one, and then uh, and and then goes quiet for a few matches. I mean, Ronaldo's whole career has been just the, the consistency of his goal scoring. That's why people and managers, I suppose, have been prepared to allow him play in a different way to many modern teams now where the expectancy is to centre forward. He's he's the first 
point of defence many many ways in that he leads off the press. Ronaldo doesn't do that. He he makes a token effort at pressing at times. Um, if the others join in well and good, then he might have another goal. But sometimes he he doesn't look like he's that committed to it. That his whole his his whole intent is about keeping in the latter part of his career particularly his whole intent is about conserving his energy making sure that when the moment comes he's ready to do the the ultimate job and stick the ball in the net so you know I'm sure he's he will be as determined as anyone to uh, do that but against Manchester City I mean the style of Manchester City and the way opposition plays against them um, Pep was asked recently how you know how how does he find the playing against opposition these days that most teams sit in and he said well that's usually the way there are very few teams that don't sit in and play with a low block as it's described now, nowadays I think he mentioned uh, only only Liverpool Arsenal and Brighton are the teams that try to take them on right that was interesting that he left Manchester United out of that but I think that Manchester United have played on the counter-attack against City and been successful against them on a, on a fairly regular basis. So I think that's how it will be. I think United will adapt their game, adapt their tactics a little bit. The, whatever the system is, it'll be some formation. Whether it be, whether it's three centre-backs, we'll have to wait and see. Whether you know whether it's Maguire, Lindelof and Varane all play as three centre-backs or whether it's some system that's basically... A four-five-one with Ronaldo was the centre forward. It's probably it'll be some combination of that where the wideish players did who would normally be in advanced positions, say the likes of Sancho, mm. Rashford, those type of players will be expected to walk deeper and harder more often, which is what they should be doing anyway. That's one of the, the big criticisms that most people have at Manchester United that those. Players don't do enough when they when they when the opposition have the ball and they don't walk hard enough to retrieve it. They don't walk hard enough to protect the full backs. Wan Bissaka and uh, Luke Shaw or whoever it is, whether it's uh, Dallow on the right right side, the right back position, but they don't do enough. Uh, Brian, can I just ask you about uh, Tottenham before we wrap? They're playing not until Monday night, but it was another defeat for them midweek this time in the FA Cup. You didn't have as dramatic a reaction from Antonio Conte as, as we did the week before when they lost to Burnley when he said, maybe he's not good enough, maybe maybe I'm not gonna, maybe I'm not uh, good enough to, to take this team to the top. But uh, is that just because of the FA Cup this week or do you think he's just ran out of almost, um, I guess, places to go in terms of his dramatic quotes in the aftermath of the match that didn't seem as, it didn't seem as severe? Sorry, Sorry, Brian. Um, uh, well, I, I'd say, he, he, look, he, he looks a very frustrated figure, particularly when the game is going against him. He matches, you know, he's he, he's he's the kind of he's the ultimate hot wire on the line when when his team are in the match. I've always noticed that about him over the years, watching him when he he, he was at Chelsea in particular. When the game is going well and they're in the game and they're in with a chance, he's directing everything on the touchline he's moving the players about he's constantly pointing and trying to pull players into specific positions but I always noticed with him when the game started to drift away on them when they were a goal or two behind he's much less active on the touchline it's almost like he loses heart very quickly and I think that transfers to the team but looking at him at sports it's been such an up, up and down time initially 
they went, I think, eight, nine games undefeated when they went in in all competitions. And then it started slipping away. There was a lot of those games were draws as well. But now it's um, now I, I, I think he is seeing the, the kind of the ultimate with Spurs again. I mean, lo- losing to to Middlesbrough. The only thing you could say they were well forewarned with Middlesbrough having beat Manchester United on penalties in the cup, and and it was you know it's the only competition they could have could have won now. Um, you know, they went out timely out of Europe, be it that it was a conference league. You know, they went timely. They weren't good in the group anyway, and then they needed to win to beat Rams in the last match uh, by a number of goals to to get through. And that match didn't get played. I know UEFA decided to throw them out. So you, there would have been no doubt that his concentration. You, I look at the team he picked. I think it, it was the best team as far as he was concerned concerned that he could have picked the other night for the Middlesbrough matches. More or less, I think, the same team that beat, that beat Leeds the previous week. And when they played well against Leeds last weekend, they won 4-0, got off to a great start, played with great intent. Matt Tarty scores an early goal and so on. And But they never really looked the part that doesn't... Um, the, 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 the Lloris, there's doubts about Lloris. The back, the three centre backs that he's playing, Dyer back in the side, you're thinking they're a little bit better, but not much better. Romero hasn't really settled into the, the Premier League or English football yet, and great hopes for him when he came from Atalanta. Ben Davies, really a left back playing as one of the three centre halves, struggling to get consistency from the wing backs. Regulon, the big signing for them. Hasn't hasn't been good enough as a, as a defender on the other side. Emerson Royale, the same. Matt Doherty seemed to be slightly back in favour now. But you know, is he is he a, is he a great defensive right back? Probably, I would say not. His best qualities are the attacking side of his game, middle of the field. Um, can't find a really reliable pairing in there. So it just goes on and on. I mean, the thing for for. For Spurs and for Spurs supporters, and for Daniel Levy and everyone else, is will he still stay? Will he stay on Conte at the end of the season? And will will the Spurs, um, will Daniel Levy basically back him to bring mm-hmm. in the type of players he he wants uh, that he that will 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 make the impact on the team? The two Juventus players, Kolesiewski and Bentecora, have had a little bit of influence, but not a major influence. I mean, if they were t- top top players, Juventus wouldn't have been letting them go to Spurs. That's how I view it. I think both of them are, are good players. Uh, both of them have potential to do better. They probably both need settling in time, but Spurs needed results. They need results now. They're a good bit off. I think things are well. They're down to seven now. Arsenal's form would put Spurs in a difficult position as regards the fourth place Manchester United are obviously there at the moment Spurs are a good bit short of that they need to be very consistent over the last 11 games they probably need to get something like 26, 26 or 27 points to get into the top four I don't see them doing that and then will Conte yeah. stay around for next year if Spurs are in the Europa League or the Commons League or, or not in Europe at all it's hard to imagine I'm sure there'll be better offers or there will be offers for them uh, I'm sure plenty of the top Italian clubs would have him back. No bother, yeah. or you know. So they, they, it'll be, it could be another difficult and interesting summer for uh, for Spurs. Very briefly, Brian, before we let you off, the, uh, rocky start for Pat doesn't come much bigger than tonight, though. 
Yeah, big big game. Uh, it's not been a, a good, good few days for them. Started well with the with the victory over over Shells, yeah. um, and then obviously lost two games. Sligo with a better team on Friday night at Richmond Park. Bowes, the match was quite even on Monday night. Wasn't much between the two sides. Good goal for Young Mallon. Bad mistake by, by, by Scott, the player unknown for moves in the right back position. But massive game. And, you know, they were very close games with, with Sean Rovers last year. Rovers got the edge in three of them. Narrow victories. And the other one was drawn. But a big match for, for for both clubs tonight. Um, Rovers have already lost the last away game to Derry. They've got six points, so they you know they need a win as well. But you know, look overall, I just hope the league is 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 more competitive this year. That there's more teams contention other than St Pat's and Sligo to a degree last year. There was no real challenge on Shamrock Rovers. They won the league very convincingly. Uh, once they beat Pats in the early game in the fourth series of, of matches, mm. it was more or less Rovers' title. I hope we have a uh, a much better com- um, contest all around for the league. And I'm hopeful that, that that's the case. I think that there's a good few other teams that are in better nick than they were last year. But for St. Pats and Tim Clancy, it's an awkward time with the change. So many, so many new players in at the back. They've played some good football in the game so far this year. And there's some very promising players there. And uh, I'm hoping for an entertaining game tonight in the packed Richmond Park. All right, good stuff. Enjoy all the football over the weekend. Thanks, Brian. Thanks a lot. Thanks, lads. Cheers, Brian Kerr on the line there. And uh, certainly uh, uh, that wish for it to be a more competitive League of Ireland season looks to be uh, is off to a good start. You are uh, watching OTBAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish uh, to your day. You can stay tuned to Off the Ball across the weekend, live from 1 o'clock tomorrow with uh, JD for all your football goodness and Saturday panel as well. Live from 1 o'clock on Sunday with Joe. And as we mentioned, there's live commentary that Manchester Derby, half past four. Brian alongside Nathan. OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow With the new Gillette Labs Razor With exfoliating bar